Hello everybody, welcome to the show, welcome to episode, what are we on Bullet, Bullet, no, he's on the bed sleeping, welcome to episode 106. guys back again um again i feel like i repeat myself so many times with this because of finding guests and it always seems to you know podmatch and, and instagram and these sites that i use have really you know given me a, a plethora of, of different um not even just people with disabilities but just amazing guests that offer a lot to the audience and uh you know it, it, i really am thankful that i've found that site uh, among all the other things that I've gotten into. Um, and it really is getting to the point now where I don't really have to find guests as much. Uh, usually they come to me now, which is, you know, I'm very grateful. Uh, as far as our next guest, um, I don't remember who reached out to who, but uh, we had a long conversation the other day, and it was, it was really nice uh, just to talk to somebody who, first time I ever met them. And, you know, it's not even that we had a lot in common, uh, or we agreed with each other and everything. It was just refreshing to know there's someone out there fighting and, and overcoming and just trying to do good in this world. Uh, so, yeah, and so I obviously wanted to have her on, and uh, we finally got our schedules to match up. Uh, so do you want to tell us your name, obviously, and a little about yourself? Sure. So my name is Juliet Rose. <clears throat> I'm a writer. Um, I write fiction. I've, I've written over the years. I've actually written nonfiction as well based on, you know, my own experiences in life. Um, I actually had a child that had cancer, had a brain tumor, and she did pass in 1999. And so I took a hiatus for a while of, from writing um, during that time just to, you know, heal and reflect and, and really came back to it this year. Um, I personally don't have a disability. I do have an autoimmune disorder I, do, I live with. And then my husband has cerebral palsy. So we're definitely familiar with living in a world where maybe things aren't quite designed to to support, uh, you know, our own growth and, and, and we adapt. Yeah. No. And, you know, one of the things that I've focused on this a lot, the second year of doing this is, is also, um, talking to people who have done a lot for people with disabilities and not just like in advocating, but like caregivers, you know, obviously you had to take care of your child and, you know, you have your husband and so on, but, um, you know, not, you know, and I know you do have a condition yourself, but it's not always just necessarily about the disability. It's just, you know, also the people that are impacted by it, because one of the things that kind of gets overshadowed is the people who are affected by it. And it's not they're not usually affected by it in a positive way. I mean, maybe they're inspired by the person, their child or lover or whatever, but to, you know, be stronger. But in general, it's it, it's a lot of work, especially um, you know, whether it's, you know, special needs children or, or just people who are in wheelchairs and, and their parents have to take care of them. It, it, it's a lot on them or, or the significant other. It's, it's not as easy um, just because it's hard for the person in the wheelchair or whatever their condition is. It doesn't mean it's easy for the person on the other side of it either. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, having my child, you know, she had a brain tumor, so she required a lot of care. Um, and so, you know, not just the physical side of it, but the mental side of getting up every day and you love that person so much and you really want them to have the best life possible too. So there's that aspect of mentally feeling drained mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. 100% of the time, you know, because you're, you're wanting to give everything in you to help them have the best life possible as well. Yeah. Um, so there's there's definitely, the side of being a caregiver, there's a lot of beauty in it. I mean, I would never trade any of the experiences that I've had. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it is a lot. It is a lot physically. It is a lot mentally. You know, there's a lot of adaptation that you have to think about it, that most people don't think about in everyday life. You know, and I think I mentioned this to you, TJ, you know, my husband talks about, which he has cerebral palsy. If he broke his left arm, he wouldn't be able to get out of the house because he's on a doorknob. So it's like, you know, simple things like that you have to think about constantly. You know, in your life, your life is, you know, adjusted around that to make sure that the quality of life, everybody, is, is as best as it. Right. But I bet that makes you a lot more empathetic and it gives you more knowledge on what other people could go through because these are things that you probably couldn't have fathomed without having to meet people like this, you know, whether it's your child or your, your uh, lover, because it, it, is he your husband or your fiance? He's my husband. husband. Yeah. Okay. My husband. You know, so, you know, like without that, like you probably wouldn't even consider, you know, uh, certain things that he has to do or to overcome. He has to, you know, he has to alternate everything in his life for it to work for him. And obviously, you're lucky enough that some of those things he has to do, you don't have to do. But the fact that you get to witness it, you have the experience and the knowledge of knowing, like, okay, like, because, you know, you may have to do some things, uh, you know, when, you, when you're when you done doing something, maybe you have to fix it or, or you have to leave something in your house that works for him because you may do something that impacts him um, in a negative way. Uh, and so... Yeah, and it keeps and it keeps you going, and it, like I said, it makes you more empathetic. Because yeah, it's one thing to have a child, because you know, especially as a mother, you know, you have a kid, and, and you automatically just want to save this thing and make sure it, it has the best life possible. But you know, when you're actually connected and married to somebody, you know, you say for better or for worse. And again, a lot of people don't really know what that means. They just say it, and then right, you realize. <laughs> exactly. and obviously, you signed up for this. You you obviously knew he had cerebral palsy before you. Uh, married them but still you when you move in with somebody and you're with them all the time you see a lot of other things that you probably didn't pick up on in the beginning exactly there's things you just don't even realize are an issue or are something that they have to face as a challenge you know it's you know we talk about things like that hanging a picture on the wall that's something that that's what i do you know because that's something that he can't do and that's you know, conversations that come up on a daily basis these are things i didn't think about you know my my daughter had um similar issues because of the breach and so she had um, weakness on her left side of her body so she couldn't do certain things she was you know she had right used everything her on her right side my husband used the left side so you know I saw things with her but when you're taking care of a child like like you said you're taking care of a child you're expected to kind of take care of everything anyway but when you're with another adult and they're dealing with challenges it's something you won't think about until you really see it and then you go oh didn't even cross the mind, you know, like, yeah. and that's, I think that's the thing with disability. A lot of people, they either undercompensate or they overcompensate. And that's not something I want to do either. My husband's a powerful person. He's, you know, he's strong. He plays disc golf. He's a musician. Like he, he, he brings everything to the table. So he doesn't need me to take care of him, but he needs is someone that understands where, what he can and can't do and just be present when I need to be and not be present when I don't, you know, like also understanding that like, he wants to do things for himself. He doesn't need me overcompensating, <laughs> you know, and right, rushing in to right. do things, you know. So I think that's the side of disability. A lot of times people forget about is that, you know, people with disabilities aren't incapable, you know, and that's that's yeah. something you tend to people, they do the pity thing, they do the inspire thing. That's not, that's not lending to the quality of life of somebody with a disability. 
Right. Well, then, like the unconditional love that you give is is very. Even if there's days where he can't express it, it, it is very impactful and it, it's really important for him to have from you because, you know, again, I don't, I don't know everything he can and can't do, but just from my point of view, like one of the things I have to admit as a 33 year old person, I can't drive, and so when I'm out in the dating right. world trying to find people, you know. There's girls that'll say in their profiles, like, I need you to have a job, this, this, and this. And I go, oh, I have all that. And then there's one thing they say, well, I need you to have your own car and you need to drive. And it's like, you know, it, does, it doesn't take away from me being a man and being, me being a person. But there's these little little nuggets where you just you see and you go like, oh, like, yeah, I don't have that. And you have to, you have right. to deal with it. And again, eventually you get over it and, and you, you get through it because you're just used to life. But there's always these little, like, tripwires that you step over and you just go, like, shit. Um, because, right. and you, cause you don't, we don't always know every limitation we have. Like, obviously I know I can't drive, but sometimes I'd never, there might've been a time where I didn't proceed, like think about like, Oh, uh, yes, that would have impacted my dating life. Um, and so, it, right. it, yeah. And so when he, he actually has somebody who you know, obviously he doesn't have to worry about dating, but he has many other issues and he has to, he doesn't have to worry about someone, you know, well, the person he's laying next to every night judging him like he knows that you genuinely care about him no matter what and um even if you don't fully understand because you probably can't um right. he knows that you're willing to understand you're willing to listen and that's like super important in, in any relationship and i think that's important too is which is i i don't understand and i don't pretend to i don't pretend that i understand you know because i'm married to somebody that has a disability i don't pretend to understand disability because i don't live with it and sometimes i'll, I'll think about it like sometimes i'm laying in bed and i'll think about what it's like to walk around in his skin, you know, what he has to deal with and, and try to really be more empathetic and think about, you know, the things that, you know, maybe I get frustrated with or the things that I can do easily, you know, or, and then I'm just like, now I have to go do that. And then I have to remind myself, you know, I don't know what, you know, I, I live with somebody with a disability. I'm not somebody with a disability. There's a big difference. And I think that people need to recognize that as well and respect those differences. Right. But the fact that you even want to try to put yourself in those shoes is, is really awesome because, you know, it may sound like fucked up, but like the fact that you kind of want to figure out what it's like to be us is important because not many people do because we are a huge, as I've said many times on here, we're a huge reminder of how fucked up life can get. Um, right. And people, and I think a lot of people just think like, oh, you become disabled by birth defects or all these different things. And it's like, no, like you can get into a car accident and you're paralyzed. You know, exactly. just because you have a disability doesn't mean you can't have a disability again. You know, I, I may be legally blind. That doesn't mean my ears can't go. That doesn't mean I can't get into a car accident or be shot or not to make this just a dark podcast. But, you know, anything can happen <laughs> I to me where I, you know, I could fall off the table or something. You know, why I'm on the table, right, I don't know. But, um, you know, but it's like, yeah, like it, we're a huge reminder of, like, again, how life can really be hard. And, and But, again... We're always the ones that have been perceived to be the broken ones, but we're the ones that are always trying to fix people and try to fix the world. Um, and there's something really, not something, there is, like, there's a lot of beauty in that. Um, but there's also a lot of pain and, and anger and, and sadness that goes with having a disability because the hardest part of having a disability is not the disability itself. It's, it's how we're treated and all the hurdles that we have to try to overcome just to have a civil life like everyone else. Right. Right. And, and that's a burden that you shouldn't have to bear. And in, you know, living in a society, I feel like, you know, there's a lot lacking, I think, in our education system. But one of the things I feel is lacking is that kids really aren't given lessons or really kind of exposed things that teach empathy, that teach to think about, 
what other people are going through. They'll, they'll touch on it sometimes, but they really tend to display over it. Um, you know, even, even the sense of like having special classes and then separating students, you know, like in other cultures, that isn't necessarily the case. And I feel like that's one thing here is I feel like everything is still kind of very separated. And, and you know, I see it. I'll go with my husband and I'll see the way some of people look at him pisses me off, you know, I'll be honest, you know, because it's one of those things where like, how does someone think that that's okay? You know, how does someone think that it's acceptable? And I saw it with my daughter, I would take her in, you know, to the store and she, you know, when she was on chemo, she didn't have care. But even after chemo, you know, she, her eyes crossed and she had, you know, the right, um, sided weakness. And so, you know, she was different and adults would stop and stare and point and whisper. And, you know, and I would sometimes confront them, but it was hard because I also didn't want to bring it to her attention that they were doing that. So it was just really a challenge of being like, I really want to call these people out for what they're doing. But I also, my daughter's not aware right now. And I don't want to bring that to her attention and have it for her. Yeah. But it always surprised me that grown adults would act that way towards people that were different than them. You know, but again, I think it comes down to like, that is still how disability is viewed in this country. It's still viewed as, you know, less than, or like you said, broken. And it's not like, it's just, different you're just bringing a different skill set to the table and i wish people could just see that and and allow for the adaptations which are often really simple adaptations to be put into place at work at schools etc right yeah it's like this freakish thing like we should be in circuses or whatever i mean you got the people who swallow swords and maybe they're missing an arm and they do weird things with it whatever but that that's a specific trait that they you know they focus on and they do crazy things with but overall it's just like we're just regular people that are just struggling with whatever it is that's going on in our bodies um and again some are more visible than others as well some people can hide it um but that doesn't mean they're not going through a lot of shit and that that's also the mental health part that i also talk about not just i mean not just the chronic illnesses and all the things that are going on deep inside but the mental shit there's people that are just battling things and just they're putting on these fake smiles and you know, you're laughing at them because whatever. And it's like, man, like, you don't, like, you got to try. And again, we, we all have our bad days. We're not always the best person. We're not always not our best selves. We may go to the store and someone just cuts us off or, you know, we may say something horrible or whatever. But end of the day, like, when you see someone who actually is going through something and, and like, try to care. Even if you don't acknowledge them, don't laugh at them. Don't look at them right. and, and stare. Like, just try to be a human um, because right. it seems like the only time people understand what it's like to be that or, or to, you know, just to kind of comprehend it is they, and be compassionate to her is if they have a child or they are that person or they know someone that they love that's like that. But if they don't have anybody in their life or, or, you know, that's not at least of importance to them that has a disability, it's, it's just kind of like, oh, it's that thing over there. And yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It's, it's something I've always said is like, you shouldn't have to have something happen to you or to someone you love to care about it. Like caring is a natural human condition. Children care about one another. You'll see them do that. And somewhere along the way, we put up all these walls and decide what we are capable of caring about. And so like discomfort, when people feel uncomfortable, then they feel like they can't, like they shut themselves off or worse then they have to act out, which is like laughing or pointing or whispering. Right. But like, when people feel uncomfortable in some way, they, sh- they shut themselves off instead of just saying, I have the capability to be a caring person and, and to care about this person, despite what, what I'm uncomfortable with. Um, and I think that's, again, it's something that, you know, children have it naturally. So if we would just continue that conversation as people grow up, I think that we would see a lot more 
you know, open-mindedness when people are adults and ver- versus now where they're just like so uncomfortable. Like they're so uncomfortable with anything that's different. You know, I was in the store last night with my dog. She's an adult now. And we're walking and she was just wearing these handmade leg warmers a friend had made for her and they're big and they're pink and really cute, you know, like uh-huh. something like that. And these kids in front of her just kept staring, turn around, staring and whispering amongst each other. And it's like, it's that discomfort because she's different. She's comfortable with her differentness. They weren't. Like they were, they couldn't accept it. Like she was confident. She was just doing her thing, you know, whatever I'm comfortable, but they were uncomfortable because of that difference and that they couldn't do that. And I feel that's where we're losing, you know, kind of like this conversation is somewhere in those teen years, somewhere around, you know, you know, 10 to 12, where we're just, then, you know, they're not bringing these conversations up to schools anymore. They're, they're not, you know, everything kind of becomes separated and encapsulated starting really at that age. And then by the time they get to adulthood, they don't know what to do when they're uncomfortable. They just don't. So they act out. Right. Well, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, look, we have we have black history. We have certain histories where we just go like Native American history. We have certain histories where we go like, okay, we can point to a part, uh, a part in time where we go, okay, that was wrong and we need to change this and that. Well, there's really no, even kind of like with gay history too. Like there's really, there's just this renaissance now, not starting now, but like not too long ago, like we didn't know what gay people were. There was just like a couple of them out there and it was like, okay, there's a couple people that do this one thing that we feel that's unholy or whatever. And it's like, okay. And then now it's like, not only is there gay people, like there's so many different variations and, and, and different genders and all that. Well, when it comes to like disability history, other than what we learned in like that documented crip camp or what happened in the nineties and all these people fighting for us, like we don't really have any real history because we were Absolutely. so I mean, even though there was disabled people all through history, it's just it's it was never perceived to be that. There was no labels. There was none of that. Um, and now we're in twenty twenty two now, and it. I mean, yes, we've we've gotten a lot better because not every person with a disability is put into some camp, and they're not all mistreated, and and people with disabilities are allowed to have lives and allowed to function and go regular places like everyone else's. But it's still way far behind every other community because if, if the black community was treated like the disability community, um, there would be a huge outcry. And, you know, and again, in fairness to that community, black people actually fight for what their problems are. Uh, and that's what I was going to say. What, what you've seen, and, and my daughter's gay, so we've talked a lot too about kind of like that thing. And like she's aware of gay history now. Like She talks about it and she's out there and she's verbal about it. And I think that's part of what it is and that's why I love that you're doing this podcast is it's because people want people to sit in silence and not speak about their suffering, speak about their history, speak about what they demand for themselves and what you've seen with different like people of color and, and, and the, you know, LGBT community is that they're like, excuse my language, but fuck that. I'm not doing it anymore. Like I'm going to stand up and say, I deserve these rights. This is what we've been through. This is what we want. And I'm, I'm, really passionate obviously for the disability community to do this as well to say you know what this is what we demand this is what we've been through and i mean we've seen things my husband and i remember one time we're watching a program and it wasn't even a program about disabilities it was a program i think like one of those ghost shows and they were in this old you know institute and they were institution and they were going through and they kind of talked about history about it and they were talking about how children with disabilities were like chained to sinks and stuff because you know, they would hurt themselves or whatever. And, and they actually showed little videos. And it was really, really painful. Like, 
even think about it now, it's really painful because that was how disability was used. Like these children were just nothing. They were to be just disposed of and locked into these places. And then in the places they were abused and often, you know, killed. And, and like these histories need to come out. Like what people with disabilities have gone through to get to a place of acceptance is, is just as hard as any other community. And of course you have communities, people that have done both people of color that are also disabled, you know, that are trying to fight for those rights. So I think ultimately like, your podcast and, and like my husband, he speaks out and he's out there. He's, you know, he makes sure people, you know, when they see him, he's just in and know him, you know? And, yeah, yeah. and I think that's what it is, is you have to really just say, I'm present, I'm here and you're going to pay attention. Yeah. And you're going to hear about the horrible things that my community went through. And, and the disability community went through horrible things. I and mean, if you really start to dig into the history, you know, you'll want to vomit. It's so, so horrible, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what's important is having that voice. Included. Yeah, because there's not a lot of imagery. Because, like, we know, like, if you just say Holocaust and slavery, like, that hits you. Yeah, you, know, you know what that yep. means. You know, you have imagery of that, even if it's in black and white and it's old. But there's a, we know what people went through during those times. But we don't really, when you don't, you can say what you just said and it's like, oh, okay, that happened. It's as if, like, yeah, okay, well, that sucks, but, you know, I got shit to do. Um, there's there's not a lot that's focused towards people with disabilities because, you know, we are, even though we are a huge minority, we're a minority and we're not a very vocal minority. And we're, a lot of us are still trying to figure out if we're proud to even be that, you know, some of us are so ashamed. I think we all have a little bit of shame, even including me. Like we have a little shame of of being disabled because, you know, life kind of treats us that way and shows us that we should be. And it's not true. But it, 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 it's hard every day to be strong because you, you have right. to be strong. Because, again, there's a lot of people that, in, that are in my life that don't have disabilities and they look at me. And if I start showing weakness, including like my grandmother, every time I'm down, I try not to show my depression around her because I know it impacts her. And it, it really saddens her, even though she's a hardened woman who grew up in the in 1930s and she was poor. And, you know, but she sees me and it, it does affect her. Um, and, and other people as well. And it, 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 I try not to, but it, you know, my life isn't easy all the time and it's never easy, right. but I, I, I make it easier than it is. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to see people with disabilities overcoming and doing so much, but we have so far to go. And I say this at nauseum that 75% of us are unemployed. And it's like, if 75% of any community in this country was unemployed, there would be riots. And right. it's, it, it's the only community that's allowed to have that. And I think one of the things that I think sucks, especially in modern time right now, is we're so divided in every single way because we, we whoop, my stupid phone off. Um, we're so divided because of all the media and all the shit that we're told we're not supposed to like each other. And, and this is, this goes racially, sexually, all that nonsense. Um, right. that we're not supposed to like each other. And, but when you think about it, like there's all these communities that are fighting for their causes and it's, but it doesn't seem like there's many crossovers. Um, as I've said many times, I think I see a lot of people with disabilities fighting for, for Black Lives Matter and Me Too and all that, but then they forget about their own cause because a lot of people right. aren't coming back to their cause. I would say you don't see the flip side sometimes. Yeah, you don't see you know people of other organizations saying, okay, now we have to really... And my husband and I have had this conversation because he expresses exactly what you expressed, the frustration of feeling someone invisible as a, as a minority, as a group that deserves that attention. And, you know, and if, and I was going to say earlier, like, it's a double whammy too, because not only are you dealing with the disability, you're dealing with the mental illness along with that. 
so so yeah. and and you like that you feel like you have to show you're strong because that's what people want to see it's that inspire thing like that just makes me cringe like like oh they're such an inspiration yeah my husband doesn't exist and you don't exist to inspire somebody else you exist for your own purposes <laughs> to walk your own path and live your own life and and do what your life is laid out for you Right. And if you want to show that you are frustrated, if you want to show that you can't do something, if you want to be depressed and show that to people, you have that right. And nobody has the right to be like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Too bad. You know, like ultimately mental illness in this country is so like still shamed. And so then you're dealing with two shames. You're dealing with the shame of what people expect from somebody with a disability and you're dealing with what people expect from mental illness. And it's not fair. I mean, you have the right to say it's bad enough. I deserve to speak my mind. I deserve to be heard. You know, we as a group deserve adaptations. Like you have the right to go to any job and say, make it work because we do it for anybody else. And so like, that's what jobs should have to do. They should have to fall into an expectation that if somebody comes in and they're blind, somebody comes in and they're deaf, somebody comes in and they have cerebral palsy, et cetera, that there's an adaptation to help them do that job. Right. Yeah. And we're just, I mean, we're, we're not, we're, we're very vulnerable. We're not protected at all. Like even with the job that I have, you know, I go out and I feel vending machines, um, you know, outside the podcast, I feel vending machines at these rest areas and so on. And I, you know, I deal with some nice people every so often, but a lot of times I'm carrying heavy shit and no one wants to hold the door for me. They leave the door right in my face and whatever. Yeah, it pisses me off. And again, I don't think that's because right. I'm disabled. That's just because they're ignorant people. But you know, I've had, you know, I remember one occasion where a guy, I was trying to give him change and I guess I gave him one of the gold dollars and I meant to give him a quarter. And he, he just like put it in my face was like, no, this is a gold dollar. And I'm like, I wanted, I just wanted to cold cock him cause I was so pissed. But again, I right. have, I have to care about my job. I also have not to get arrested for hitting a person, but it's like, right. I can't, I can't prove, how do I prove to HR in my company? Again, HR is way, you know, miles and miles back, but how do I prove to HR that the reason why I screamed at this person was because I was so pissed off cause someone treated me like garbage and treated me like something that was less than um, because he put it at my face. It's like, yes, you could kind of prove that, but they don't care about that shit. That's not like, unless they call you some sort of word, which is what nowadays what triggers people. Um, you know, people can, I know people with disabilities, it, it, a lot of it is so subliminal how we're treated. And it's not, unless they come out and say, hey, you broken leg fuck. And this, right. like, unless they specifically say that, um, they can't, you know, you can't prove it. And so, you know, you have to just take it. And, and then and that's why a lot of us end up blowing up and just completely just getting pissed off. And yeah, and the mental health stuff goes into it. And it's like, oh, see, now we got to put him in a straitjacket because he's he's angry. And it's like, yeah, I have every fucking right to be angry, man. I'm tired. Like life has kicked me around. And for once, I just want to have a nice interaction with a person. Here's your quarters. Right. Here's your, you know, here's your snack. And, and good luck to you. Have a nice new year. Not, you know, shove this shit in my face. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just a lot we have to deal with beyond the disability. And that, that, that's what a lot of people don't tend to understand or want to recognize that the disability yeah, is hard. I think so much more, you know, growing up and seeing kids with disabilities in my school and seeing how they were treated. And then, you know, as an adult, it is very subliminal. It's very much like it is points and the stairs and the whispers and the, and it is hard stuff to like nail down and say, they did this to me. This is what they said. Because a lot of times it isn't, but it's just as hurtful. Mm-hmm. It's just as damaging, especially for kids in school who like, you know, they're, they're forming at that time and, and they're trying to learn about the world. And, and the world is really unkind, you know, when you have a disability and you have 
you know, other kids that are doing things every day. And, you know, as a writer, that's, that's something I try to bring into my stories. All of my stories have some level of challenge. And in and, and the one that I have coming out in May with Adelaide, you know, one of the main characters, he's deaf. He's a dog sampler. And he deals with anger issues. And the reason I wanted to do this, because my husband's dealt with anger issues. I'm sure you've dealt with anger issues. I think it's really mm-hmm. common when you don't feel hard to be pissed. And so, like, I really wanted to bring that into a story and kind of go through that history of feeling that way and feeling really angry and not knowing how to express it. You know, because I feel like this is an area, again, that we're not addressing. We're you know, I mean, bullying is chronic anyway in this country, in schools, but I feel like when you're dealing with a disability, it's almost expected from the adults around you. So while they're like, don't do that, that's wrong, you shouldn't do that, I feel like it's not being addressed by the adult the way that it should be, because it shouldn't be dealt be dealt with just because it happened at this moment. It should be dealt with all the time. So this is something, these conversations that need to be had. But again, we have adults that can't handle seeing somebody with disability. Yeah. They, they, like I said, they just, they act stupid. And so for them to be leading children or trying to teach children how to, you know, work with somebody with a disability, it's, you know, it's, it's almost impossible because they have their own preconceived ideas. In their head, right. You know, and, and with my daughter, I remember taking her to a play group when she was little and, you know, she was really bright and, you know, she was just like a really kid. She just had a disability. And so like, I remember taking her, and she couldn't get off the couch, say, to play with the other kids. She really had a hard time with balance and stuff. And I remember, like, so it was awkward. So I sat with her, and we were, we were drawn together and talking. And one of the moms looks up and goes, oh, she's actually really smart. I thought, right. yeah, like, why wouldn't she be? Like, in my mind, I couldn't understand. And I thought, oh, you're looking at her disability and assuming she's stupid, mm-hmm. which was so offensive. You know, but then, like, how do you, how do you cross that line with well, how do you say you're an idiot for thinking that my child's stupid because you don't understand what a disability is, you know? So it was one of those situations where, you know, I should have, again, didn't draw attention to it because I was with my child and I didn't want her feeling like, you know, there was a scene being caused because of her. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I never went back to play group because it was one of those things where it's just like, I, I was so shocked at that reaction by yeah. this parent. Um, that I, I ended up backing off and taking my child away because I didn't want her to feel exposed. But that, those are the issues that need to be addressed. Is why, why do we feel this way about people with disabilities? Why have we created this reality that somehow, like you, like you were saying earlier, that they're broken or that they're not smart or whatever? Like, you know, my husband told me a story about once I'm going for a job and the guy's like, oh, can you push a broom? And then they didn't prove it. And it was just one of those things where I was like, Oh my God, I would have flipped out, but I know exactly why he didn't because the time he was shocked and embarrassed that he was being asked to do it. So he did it, yeah. you know, but he was pissed. Like, you know, inside he was pissed. So he took that anger out of that situation and carried it into the rest of his life because he's pissed that he has to justify himself. All the time. Well, that because, he, but he also, if he wants that job or he wants a job because things are more limited for people with disabilities, he has to endure that. He has to take that shit. Right. And that's how things blow up because I, I had something very similar to what he went through where I went to a, and I don't even know why I was just wanted a job. And it was one of these um, like call centers. And, you know, it was one of these places where they say, well, if you come here, you know, you don't have to apply online. Like that's like their whole little ploy to get you there. Yet you have to take a test when you get there. So I'm like, okay. So I sit down at the computer and she's just like, here you go. And I'm like, miss, uh, can I put some sort of magnification? Like every computer has it. She's like, oh no, well the, it's, 
locked out of that. Like this, this computer is only set to do this one thing. As so I'm like, so you won't allow me to have any magnification. I can't do anything with this. I'm like, well, I can't do this. Like I can't see this. She's like, well, okay. Why don't we come to my office and we'll do the reading part. And she's like, I want to, and she basically told me that she wanted me to prove that I can read. And so I had to, I grabbed my magnification that was in my pocket and I read the thing. And of course it started off a little slow cause it's just, it's not something I normally have to do. And then once I kind of right. got the, cause it, it, I'm taking this, um, you know, thing that's kind of the size of my phone and I'm going line to line, you know, left uh, to right and I'm going all the way over and then I have to stop and then go over. But once I kind of got the hang of it, I was reading at a regular level like I always was. And, you know, and, but it's like, the fact that I had to be that vulnerable and had to be just like, I was, it, it angered me. It saddened me. Like it made me not want to apply for more jobs, right? And, you know, but I know if, if people like me aren't out there, people like your husband aren't out there trying, um, how are we ever going to make change for those down the road? So they don't have to go through that type of experience because, you know, there's many of us that are still going through it. And the reason why, yes, there, you know, there's, there's a stigma on the disability community that a lot of us are lazy and just want to collect disability. And that is something that is real, but that isn't the majority of us. That is some of us, but a lot right. of them, how they got to that point is because they put themselves out there and they went to these job places and they're saying, Oh, ha ha, good luck. Um, and you know, oh, we'll call you later. And they never do. Right. And they go through so many embarrassing things. Um, many of that I've talked about just in my life, what I've gone through with just trying to get a job. Um, it's embarrassing. It, it's, it's really like, you have to do a lot of self, just like soul searching where you just like, man, like, do I want to do this shit? But also like, do I want to be normal? Do I want to like feed myself? Do I want to be able to afford the things that I like? Do I want to just live with my family the rest of my life? Um, and you really have to kind of go back and forth to yourself to try to figure out what do you want? Do you really want to embarrass yourself and put yourself in this super vulnerable position and, and, and risk being sad and angry more than you already are to, to live a normal life? Right. And I think that, you know, what you're saying is, is frustrating because like ultimately what you're always saying is do, do I continue to sacrifice? And that's, you know, you're constantly being asked to sacrifice some part of yourself to fit into what everybody else can just do. Yeah. And and the people in charge are allowed to just allow that to happen. They're not making those changes. They're not, you know, saying, how can we help this person do their job? Because that's their job is to make sure that their employees are able to do their job. And you're you're having to carry all of this burden all of the time. And, and that's got to be wearing. I mean, it has to be constantly be like, all right, I got to walk into the situation and I know what I'm walking into and I know how they're going to react, but you know, I'm going to still try. And that means like every single encounter becomes that struggle and it shouldn't be. And that's where the disability community really, you know, has to come together and say, you know, it's not our job to make you comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Your job is to allow me to do my job. Your job is to allow me to live my life just like you get to live your life. And that's, you know, like the ADA got put in place and it definitely is beneficial, but it should have been a jumping off point. And I feel like they just stopped to yeah, well, we did that. <laughs> We're right. good. Yeah. And it's not, there's way more needs to happen, you know, uh, within companies, within, you know, the government, they need to really look and say, what are we doing to address so that people with disabilities have the same chances of living you know, a, a healthy, normal life as anybody else does. And that's on them and that shouldn't be on you. Yeah. And that's ultimately, I think, where, you know, now we're at this day and age where now 
we need to see those changes happen, you know, in legislation. Companies need to step forward and say, we want this. We want to have your skill set, TJ, because you bring a lot to the table. How can we help you, you know, so that we can have your skills come to us? Instead of being like, oh, we're doing you a favor. Yeah, like what you were saying. You know, we're checking about. Like what you were saying with the sacrifice. Like, it'd be like if you were just a person and whoever is in control of your life, let's just say it's God and God comes to you and says, hey, do you want to be happy? And you go, yes. All right, cut off your big toe. All right, now, do you... Do you want a good woman or a man in your life? Yes. All right. Cut off another. Like you just keep you just keep getting rid of shit and to the point where you don't have anything left because a lot of us lose our sanity and we lose so much. We just keep sacrificing. We keep getting rid of so much that like makes us us. Um, one of the things I've talked about on here is, you know, I have this big thing with my uncle because my uncle and I, you know, he's a great guy. Not a great guy. He's a great. He's a cop. He's good at what he does. He's a very smart person. He's a very he's very good at what he does. Um, but he's, he's got this cop sense of humor and he just says horrible shit. And again, I've taken it for 27 years up until that point. And one day we were just kind of bickering and he just kept with this same old, cause he was retiring and he kept with the whole, um, you know, well, we're now on a fixed income. I mean, he's joking because they make him and his wife both make six figures and, you know, and he just, and, and I was just like, okay, sure. You make plenty of money. And he said to me, well, we all can't just sit around and collect disability. And I said, you can't fucking say that to me. Like, don't. And again, I, this was in front of my grandma. This, And again, I, I, I had to apologize to my grandmother because I, I did not want to do this. But it, it, it hit me to my core because I'm like, you're my uncle. Like, you you say this shit to me because and 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 eventually it got it got a little darker and a little deeper. And we, we had a huge argument and, and whatever. But and, and, and then my grandmother eventually because she's 90, almost 90 years old. And she wants one of the things in this world she wants before she le- she leaves this earth is that she wants me and him to work it out. And right. and I said, I can't. And, and when she talked to him at one point, she said, what can we do to fix this? And he said, well, all he has to do is come and apologize to me for cursing at me. And I said, Grandma, like, you don't understand like I have, I, I'm a man. I will talk to him if he wants to have a fair 50, 50, like you sit down one in the table and we'll just have a real conversation. I'm not afraid to talk to him, but I'm like, I'm never apologizing to him ever because I apologize to you because I wish you weren't there when I said that, but you don't understand what it's like to be me. And if I, if I apologize to him, I have to sacrifice everything I stand for. Like everything I have to right. literally pretend I have to get rid of all the strength in my disability and everything I've overcome in my life. And I have to tell a person that I'm sorry that I called you an asshole. And I'm sorry that I told you to go fuck yourself because you told me and any person that has a disability that all we do is sit around and collect disability. I have to literally apologize to you just because I want my grandmother to have what she, some, some sanity and some happiness. And that's the type of, and again, that's not something I will do. But I've done a lot of sacrifices like that, and and um, and that, and that's that's what it's like to have to be a person with a disability. You have to sacrifice so much just to have a little happiness in this world. And and again, I'm not saying it's all dark and it's all bad. We're just talking about these specific subjects. But you know, yeah, no, it's and hard. and I and I the thing is that they have to be talked about. They do, and that's yeah. why when I write about stuff, that's why I pick these hard subjects yeah. and put them in a book because for so long I would try to say to people hey listen this is really important and I felt like I was on a soapbox and I felt like I was just like irritating people so I was like I'm a good writer when I was like I'm a good writer let me just take these things that I'm passionate about and let me put them into stories and maybe then people can like read it and get a different perspective instead of looking at a disability or 
you know, a race or whatever, a certain way, you know, let me just make these characters and this is what their lives are like and express those things. So then maybe somebody will pick up the book and they'll go, Oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. You know, let me, let me view things differently. Um, because you have to say those things and whether or not you're saying, um, by calling somebody an asshole who's being a bigot, (laughs) you know, or you're doing it in a way like I am writing a story and trying to have a character that's expressing what they've been through. It still has to be said, you know, you have to say those things. And if you don't, you're cutting out your own tongue. Like you're preventing yourself from really expressing who you are as a person. And it's not your burden to bear. Like it's not your burden to fix somebody's small mindedness, you know, like, it's your job to live your life. Like you're, it's your job to get, to get up out of bed and like, that's what you do. Then you go live your life. Not to be like, okay, I have to make this okay for somebody else. I have to make them feel better about my disability. That's ridiculous. Like people need to get over themselves and stop letting their preconceived notions about things determine how they treat another human being. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, one of the things I want to ask, so, so your, your daughter, um, mm-hmm. is that by the husband you're with now? No, my, he's my second husband. So my children were with my first husband. Okay. Cause I just, I just wanted to know how, okay. So, Cause I wanted, I wanted to talk about how before you met him, but obviously she came first. Um, do you, yeah, he actually didn't know her that she had passed away before I met him. He, he helped raise my two younger children. Um, but my daughter, Kyla, who was one that passed from brain tumor, she actually passed away before I ever met. Right. Okay. Um, because I really want to talk more about her because, you know, she's obviously super important to your story. Um, So obviously having kids and you you have this whole ideal of, you know, you know, bliss and oh, I'm going to take care of my child. And, you know, you don't really know what's to come. Like you just expect, you know, you're going to have, you're going to go into labor, you're going to have a kid and, and, you know, boom, like you start a new life. Um, so obviously, like, was she diagnosed with this tumor or, I mean, I'm sorry, was she born with this tumor or was she diagnosed later in life? So she was diagnosed at 21 months old. She started showing symptoms earlier than that. I kept taking her to the doctor and saying, you know, something's wrong. And, you know, first they tried to give her glasses because her eye was slightly crossing. And then, you know, she was walking with like a, a gate. It's a certain type of gate that she had from the tumor. And I said, you know, and they're like, oh, maybe she just needs to see an orthopedist. I mean, I literally went back and forth. And then finally, when she was like 21 months old, like my gut's like, you've got to like, you can't leave the office. You can't let them send you away again. And so I, I got made an emergency appointment. I took her in and, you know, they're like, yeah, this is, I, you know, they're like, this is all weird. She's drooling a lot too. And they're like, oh, she's probably just cutting molars. There was always like an excuse for like whatever her symptoms were. Right. And then finally I was like, look, I understand that this could be this or this could be this or this could be this, but she literally has them all at the same time. And I actually was the first one that ever said brain tumor. I said, I think you're treating symptoms of something like a brain tumor. And as soon as I said it, the doctor kind of like his face kind of went blank for a second and he excused himself and left the room. And I knew, I knew that me saying that took something in his brain. They came back and they, they ordered a, an MRI. For her. Yeah. And so they took her in and, and the next morning they were able to get an MRI and confirm that she had a brain tumor. But wow. you know, it, it, she probably had had it for a while. So by the time they found it, it was already like the size of like an egg. Right. And it was in her, her pons of her brain stem. So it was one of those things where like, you know, and I think a lot of parents probably with children with disabilities or special needs feel this. Like you feel like you're not being heard. You're like saying, hey, this is going on. This is going on. The doctor's like, it's okay, mom. I mean, my husband says it. Like he says he remembers going as a kid to the, to the doctor and 
something come up and the doctor be like, it's okay, dad, or it's okay. I'm like, not like that condescending, like whatever way about your child. Yeah. And I think, you know, that I was young. I mean, she, I was 25 when my daughter was diagnosed and, you know, I was kind of just a kid myself and I had come from a really terrible childhood my, myself. And I was really just kind of like stumbling through life at that time. So having kids was really wonderful for me. Like it's something I really wanted. I had my first kid right before I turned 20. I had her when I was, I think around 23. Um, you know, so I was really young and, and this is what I wanted out of life. I wanted, you know, to have children and, and I really loved being a mom and stuff like that, but it literally turned everything in my life upside down because, you know, I went in as a 25 year old mom. I went in with the kid saying, please pay attention to me. And within like a day, I'm this 25 year old mom who's telling them, this is what you need to do. This is how you're going to treat my kid. Like I went from basically, you know, not knowing what to do to having to be her biggest act immediately because she was young. She was, you know, 21 months old, she passed it, uh, um, you know, four and a half years old. And that whole time I was having to be her voice. Like I was having to speak for her, I was having to fight for her. And, you know, whether it was inside the hospital or outside the hospital, I was having to basically be the one that stood between her and the world. Um, Did you have you much know, time for yourself in, in a way of like, cause again, there's all this, I'm sure ha- probably feels like it all happened so quickly and it all was so I mean, again, she was only alive for four and a half years, so that's terrible. Was it four and a half years or four and a half months, did you say? Four and a half years. Okay. So she, she was diagnosed at 21 <laughs> months old, and then she passed at like four years. And right. Um, but, I mean, did you have any time to just cry and breathe? Because I'm, I'm sure you you're, it probably were a mess, regardless if you were to let it all out. I'm sure to, to, to hear your daughter has a tumor and, you know, you, you see her you know, every day and you get to be next to her and you get to see what is going on with her and obviously – even if it's something that's simple or she's coughing, it probably, you probably automatically just assume like, Oh my God, what is this? Is this the next step of death? Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. it definitely was like that. And, and I was a shower crier. So like I never really broke down in front of her because again, I was trying to protect her from everything else because she didn't really understand what was going on. She didn't understand that she was different in any way. Like, you know, like around people, you know, she didn't know she had a brain tumor. She was too young to really understand that concept. So her life, what she knew was just doctor's visits and, you know, her nurse that came, you know, once or twice a week, things like that. So, like, I try to keep her life as normal as possible. So I put her in dance classes, and I had a fight for that. They didn't want her in the class because she would fall a lot because of her balance, but she loved it. And so, like, I had to pull the ADA on them. I was like, hey, you can't tell me I can't bring my kid here to take dance classes. Mm-hmm. I can sign a waiver, but she's going to be in your dance class. I'm going to deal with it. Like, and I had a fight for that. That was, like, her favorite thing in life. Like, you know, it's the thing I feel like I gave back to her. So, like, when she did that, at least she had something here on the first that was, like, really magical. She loved to dance. So, you know, it was hard. I mean, like I said, I was young. So, like, I just went through my days taking care of her and, you know, trying to keep things as normal as possible. And then my ex-husband, he'd get home. He was in the military. And he'd get home and I'd go cry in the shower. Like, I'd let him take care of her and go to the shower and I would ball. Yeah. You know, that was how I dealt with it. And, you know, when I knew that... You know, she did, she kind of leveled out and she did well for a couple of years. We went to like an alternative therapy in Texas. Um, it was like a DNA therapy and she did, she did really well on that, but it was an FDA clinical trial. So it was something where like, you know, they're still kind of playing with the numbers a little bit. And so, you know, after about two years on that, I, I noticed, we all noticed kind of the increase of symptoms. And so we took her back in and, and the tumor had kind of like reactivated, like it had started to kind of like deactivate like show dark on the scans and then it was showing light on scans so you know we knew at the time that it, we it was kind of picking back up again and I mean that was terrible I mean I was still just a kid myself and I just 
you know, again, would wait till my husband was around and I would just go and ball on my bed, you know, and I, because I just knew I couldn't, you know, yeah. I knew I couldn't win that battle. And I did all the bargaining with God or the, whoever you want to believe. And I was like, please take me, you know, do whatever. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately it was just a fight I could plan. So, you but, know, but like on that. the, on the flip side though, I mean, if there is any positive, that positivity that has come from this, is, I mean, obviously, you, you know, you were kind of a lost 25-year-old for the most part. You were trying to just figure yourself out, and you have a kid, which you think is going to, you know, be, like, the next step to changing and having a better life. And right. she kind of made you a better person. She made you a stronger person because you had to advocate for her. She couldn't do it herself. Obviously, she was way too young anyway. But, you know, she has she's dealing with all this pain and, and everything that's going on with her. And you actually have to kind of step outside yourself and do more than you probably have ever done in your 25 years up, up until that point. Um, and oh, it, it yeah, ma- absolutely. It made you actually, you know, not even just be a mom, but it made you empathetic. It made you just be a person who just won't take no for an answer. And you fought for four and a half years until, you know, obviously, unfortunately, she passed. But, you know, it, it, it made you at least part of who you are right now. Absolutely. I mean, it changed who I was as a person. You know, growing up, I was always that compassionate kid. I told my mother I wanted to be vegetarian at age six. I was always that person that kind of like, you know, saw the world a little differently than the kids I was around. You know, and, and sometimes like if you think about things spiritually or whatever, I feel like my daughter came to me because she knew I could, I could fight for her. Like she knew I was that person that had already said, I'm going to fight for, you know, people, I'm going to fight for animals, whatever. And so I, it definitely, you know, changed me as a person it made me like more willing to speak my mind where like I always had the thoughts and the mind to, to feel passionate about things, but I was always pretty afraid of it. It's hard to believe it. I'm somewhat of an introverted person. I really don't like to be put on the spot or in front of people. And yeah. you know, when I was in school, I'd be mortified if the teacher called on me, that type of thing. But like having a child and then seeing how quickly like the world will just disregard, yeah. you know, especially children. I think because like there's this mindset of, well, you know, they're not going to have a life anyway. Like, it's like that mentality. And that's, that's bullshit. Like, you don't get to determine who's, who gets to have a life or how their life is, the value of their life. So it's one of the things, like, it pissed me off because almost off the bat, people were just like, well, you know, she's young and she always have more children or, you know, da, 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 or she doesn't even know what's going on. Or, it was always like these, how, again, how they made themselves feel better about an absolutely terrible situation. Yeah, and so yeah. I started fighting back and said, you don't get to say that. Like, you don't get to tell me my child's life has value or it doesn't. You don't get to tell me what I can do or how I can make myself feel better. And so I definitely stepped outside of that shy girl I had been and really started, like, using the voice I was given to be, like, I'm fighting for the rights of others. I'm fighting for what is right. Yeah. And, you know, after she died, I definitely I went through a year of hell. Like, I just kind of shut down and I hermited it. But, like, after that year, I was like, all right, I, I have to use what I was given and I opened a youth center and we lived in a really poor town. And so I opened a youth center in an old building and just started offering whatever, whatever classes I could, art, you know, dance, whatever I could get just to get, you know, where kids come and just be kids and like get to have those experiences. And it kind of grew from there, like where I was like, I became very passionate about, you know, using my voice to help others. And it kind of just spiraled since there. I mean, to the point, like I said, I think it was probably pretty annoying there a while, for a while on social media because I was like, all right, this is an issue we need to talk about. You know, it's really, I was like, okay, I still need to use my voice, but maybe there's a way I can do it where I'm not chasing everybody away screaming. Yeah. I mean, it clearly woke up, I guess, what you call a sleeping giant. Like you were a person that, you know, when your back is against the wall, like you had to fight. Um, right. 
and that's a quality a lot of people don't have. They don't even understand that. Uh, and, you know, you, you sacrificed everything for her, uh, and you completely forgot about, you know, what you needed. I'm sure you probably could have been doing your nails and taking care of yourself, and, and you just said, fuck it, I got to take care of her. Um, and, and, again, that's why I said, like, there are people that you may never know what it's like to be your daughter, but just go through the pain or, or what your husband goes through, but you're the closest to a person who doesn't have a disability, but no would like to have one because you, you had to be everything for your daughter. The only thing you didn't go through is the physical pain, but you went through all the emotional pain. Um, right. And who knows how much psychologically and, and how much wear and tear that did on your body because of all the stress and crying and all that shit. Who knows how much that just, you know, damaged you for a good while. Um, and again, there's always PTSD in the lab. There's so much you had to overcome at that yeah. point in time. So you just don't know... Sometimes, you know, like, you know I, I've been figuring out some things that have damaged me over the years and, and I'm learning 30 years later or whatever. I'm like, holy shit, like that still has an impact on me. I never thought it did. Um, oh, yeah, I think it has an impact forever, physically and mentally. I think that, you know, physically, you know, they've done studies and shown that like, you know, extreme grief or suffering or stress causes like heart damage. And, yeah. you know, they're, they've linked some, like I have Hashimoto's, which is a thyroid condition. And they've, they said they've seen in studies where like, if you had a really traumatic childhood, you're more likely to have that, you know, those type of things. So, you know, we can't discount what mental health does to our body because it does. It physically starts to break down things inside of ourselves because it's all interconnected. We, we tend to treat mental health and physical health as two separate worlds, but they, they're the same world, but it's the same body. You know, like, right. So I think that, you know, it, it definitely, you know, I, I've seen the wear and tear on me over the years from, from what I went through, you know, as a child, like I really got childhood and then, you know, from, I lost my mother at age 11. I, I lost my daughter, you know, as, as a young mother, um, you know, and then just the stress of, of everything else. But at the same point, I'm, I feel like I'm a more compassionate person than other people are because of what I went through. You know, like I took all of those experiences and it's like, you don't want people to go through that. You know, like you don't, you want to be able to take that away from somebody else, that suffering, that stress, because you know what it feels like. So you're like, what can I do to make you feel a little bit better to be there for you to, to offer something, even if it's just a listening ear, Yeah, you know? Or, yeah. I, I mean, as a, as a person who is going through a lot and a person who doesn't know you that well is just getting to know you, you know, even the conversation we had the other day and, and including this one, like you, if you, if you're empathetic and you've been through a lot and you, you you can pick up on people's aura and their energy and all that. And if you believe in that stuff, like you can tell you're a very compassionate person. You're a very kind person. There's just a lot of pain. There's just a lot there to unpack. Cause you, you know, there's just, you just feel it. You know, I, I always hate these people that wear these shirts to say like, Oh, I'm a survivor of this because like yeah. people who are survivors, they know you're a survivor. You don't have to, you don't have to put it on your, your shirt to right. for us to know because we can feel your, your scars emotionally and what you went through. Um, and I think most survivors don't feel like they're survivors. I think they feel like they're in that wrath still. You know, like I think ultimately, like I don't feel like I'm like, yeah, I've been through this. I'm still like, I'm still like on that raft out in the middle of the ocean, just paddling away. <laughs> you yeah. know? Or, or we we're like, we survive whatever it is that almost killed us, but we're still surviving. Like we're still going right. through whatever the next step of that, like my the disease that nearly killed me. I survived that. But I'm still surviving life. I'm still surviving my mental health. I'm still exactly. surviving my chronic illness. Exactly. And so, yeah, no, I mean, you can, because we are survivors and we are soldiers. We are fighters. But, you know, we may never, ever stop fighting. And that's something we have to come to terms with. Um, but one of the things I wanted to ask you, because, 
you know, what was your kind of your final closing like feeling towards having to, you know, bury your daughter? Like, was it a, a, a breath of fresh air in a way of like, oh, my God, she doesn't have to suffer? Or did you go through just like, oh, my God, I lost, you know, the thing I love the most in this world or both? You know, it's both. And I remember, like, it's, I had this weird epiphany, like, when when she was about a week out from when she passed away. And I just knew, like, you know, you just know at this point that you, you can't keep, you can't stop the speeding train. I remember just laying on my floor in my room and I was crying. I was like, you know, just give me her pain. Give it to me. Let me suffer. You know, and it was like, just like, just let me go through this. Don't put her through this. And, you know, she passed away. And, you know, I didn't think about that again. But, like, a few months later, I remember I was driving. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, like, exactly what I was given. I was given the suffering and the pain. Like, now I carry all of this. Absolutely. And that's what I asked for. Like, she she was set free of what she was going through. You know, like, yeah. she didn't know that she was going through, but she knew that she didn't feel good sometimes. And she knew that, you know, she had to go to the doctors and she didn't like that. And she had to get a finger pricked. And she didn't like that. And, like, she knew all those things she didn't like. And, like, she got set free of not having to go through all that. And I was left here carrying all the suffering. Yeah, and, and in a way, like, it felt like a penance I was willing to carry. Like, I was like, all right, you know, I, I'd rather have my kid, but, like, I'll take the penance. I'll take the suffering that means she does. Yeah, because in the same token, you have all the time she smiled. You you have the four and a half years you have with her. But, yeah, you still have to carry this pain that she's not here anymore and you can't talk to her. Um, exactly. And so, yeah, that, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, yeah. But, yeah, again, like I said, those those are the type of situations that really – make or break a person. Um, and there's many variations and there's different, many forms of it. But when it comes to losing a child, especially at that young of an age, um, you know, yeah, you, I'm sure you went go through the gamut of emotions of anger and sadness. And at some point you get to a point where you're happy because you just go like, yeah, it sucks. I would love to hug her again and, and have a conversation with her. But you also don't have to take her to the doctors anymore. You don't have to see her cry anymore. You don't have to see her in pain. You don't have to read those stupid scans and, you know, you don't have to oh, yeah. feel the way you felt about those things. You you can miss and, and still cry and think about her, but at least you know she's not in any more pain. And that like that's got to give you some sort of just reprieval and just like you can just sigh of relief and like thank God that's not going on anymore. Yeah, and I think it's cyclical. Like I think we and I'm sure you go through this too. You have those days where you're like, yeah, but I'm here and I can do this and I can whatever. And then you have days you're like, fuck, pissed, and I'm like, you know, like whatever. And that's what it is. I think with with losing a child and, and seeing her go through stuff is like there are the days I wake up and you know I think finally and I'm glad that I had a time with her and I'm glad that I fought for her I'm glad I was the person that I was because you know I took a lot off her plate by standing between her and the rest of the world between her and doctors and then I was yelling at a neurologist 24 hours before she passed away because I was refusing to let them just tell me and I was like we're gonna we're gonna make sure we've done everything we can do and and there's I'm proud of that and I'm and I'm glad I did those things but I, it also sucks that I ever had to. Like, it sucks that she ever went through that. And, like, that this little kid that I had that was going to grow up. And, you know, my sister adult now. She'd be 20, you know, 25, 26 now. And it's, like, you know, it's one of those things where, like, I still think about that. Like, because there's this gap between my my oldest child and then my next child. There's, like, a, a huge gap because, of course, she was in the middle. And so, like, you know, she should be here. You know, when I'm hanging up stockings at Christmas time, I have her stocking. Like, it's these things where it's, like, you know, I'm always going to feel sad right. about, you know, the fact that she's not here and what she went through. Yeah. But I'm also really glad I got to know her. Like, she was a really amazing person. And, like, she's impacted who I was. She taught me a lot about, 
you know, I mean, kindness and stuff. Like, I, I remember, like, this nurse would come and they'd have to do her port. So she had a port under her skin and they would have to access that with a needle. And they get changed out once a week. She hated it. It was, like, absolutely just a miserable experience for her. And this nurse was, like, her home health nurse one time. Every week and do it. And I just remember, like, this one day and she just didn't want the nurse to do it. And she was screaming and crying and trying to fight her. And finally the nurse got it done. And my daughter climbed in her lap and hugged her. And it was just, like, that moment of, like, she knew the nurse wasn't doing something to her. She knew that what she was going through, she had to go through, but the nurse wasn't causing to her, you know, that she still loved her and she was still close to her. Right. And that's something I really help hold with me the rest of my life. Like, I have to really separate sometimes the actions from the person. I have to look at, like, why is someone reacting this way? Why is someone doing this? And think maybe they're hurting. Maybe they're suffering. Maybe they're, you know, feel like they have to and, and try to then approach it in that way. So. Yeah. If I don't agree with somebody, you know, I'll say to them, okay, you know, I definitely can see where you're coming from, but, you know, maybe consider this or think, you know, think about this. And, and I feel like my daughter taught me a lot of that, you know, her ability to separate what she was going through from the people around her. And then she said they were trying to do what was best by her and they didn't and those things really taught me to kind of see two perspectives in every situation. Right. You know, you know it's really weird because every guest I have on there's, there's always something parallel or some something that like is, is just like daunting in my life where I go like holy shit like that like speaks to me in a different way because I've had enough experience especially with all this health stuff and everything and um you know and just kind of what you were just saying about your daughter you know I had a friend named Lori who I talked about I don't know, it was like episode 10 I just kind of told her story from my perspective and I, I probably had about four four and a half years with her um and she, you know she she made it to about 21 but I only had about four, four and a half years with her. And, you know, she she was, you know, constantly in the hospital. I'd always talk to her on the phone. We would just have fun, silly conversations and be just dumb and, and just have a good time. And there's a point where she kind of cut me off because she just didn't want me to see her in her worst state. And eventually, you know, we got back in touch and I yelled at her. And, I, and of course, I still regret it. But I, I had a real reason to be mad, but I also didn't know all the information. And so... We got back, and, and once I found out, like, she was bleeding all over the place, and she was just in a really bad place. She almost died a couple times. So then I, I I didn't know where to, like, what to do. And so I eventually just called her, and, and we had one night of just, like, a two-, three-hour conversation. We just act like I – had, I had – I don't know. Again, I don't know if I'll ever have this strength again, but I had to pretend like everything was going to be okay knowing that she was going to die soon. And and just right. for, for the perspective – to, to paint the whole picture, she died like two or three nights later. Um, and we talked for three hours, like nothing was wrong. And like, we, we hadn't disappeared from each other's lives in months. And, you know, we just had this amazing conversation. The one thing I told her was I'm going to do everything I can in my life to try to live my life for her. Uh, not, not just for her, but you know, when I, like what I do now, part of it is for her. Um, part yep. of what I do is just is to make sure people like her stories get out there because people don't speak for her. Um, right. And, you know, she, she went through hell for, for 19 to 20 to 21 years of her life. Um, she actually was a, a cancer survivor and died of heart failure. Um, and she just battled and battled and battled. And it's like, she lived a very rough life, but she had great parents and she had a great family and she had me and certain people that just loved her unconditionally. And then she died and, and she left a lot for us to pick up and that's not to blame her, but the, you know, so I see like the parallels with like with your daughter. Cause I think I had about four, four and a half years with her and with, with Lori and you know, it's like shit, like 
I just kind of taken everything after she's passed and she's been gone for at least 10 years now. But, um, you know, I just look at it. I just, I try to keep her there knowing it, it keeps me motivated. Obviously talking to people like you also keeps me motivated, but I, I, I look at her and I go like, yeah, like I'm trying. So people like her have, you know, an impact in this world. And so we can have more information so that doctors don't tell you like, Oh, everything's going to be okay. Meanwhile, she has a tumor. Um, right. You know, it's just, it's just continuing to just, you know, we, we don't just need to educate the public. We need to educate doctors, we need to educate everyone. Because Absolutely. People are, people are struggling more than just financially and all that. People are battling all kinds of health issues and it's not all like 99.9% of it has nothing to do with COVID. And I'm not, I'm not, again, I, people think I just attack the COVID stuff. It's just, that's all we talk about and we get lost and we forget about everything else. And there's so right. much more, so much worse out there, but you know, and so like, like your, your daughter's story, it's like, we can't forget these people because these are the people that are, you know, they get lost in the shuffle, but their stories do matter regardless of how long it lasted because it matters to you. It's like without right. her story, without her little four year journey in your life, who are you? Because you weren't you know the same it, person before. Exactly. And you know what COVID is in the sense, like it's to people like, you know what it's like to go through stuff. I know what it's like to go through stuff. I've been going through it. The rest of the world was kind of just skating around, watching their television programs and not really thinking that bad things could happen. And that's why COVID such a shock to people because it's not a shock to you or I, because we're like, yeah, shit happens. <laughs> like it yeah, does. Like happens. stuff shows. And like for the majority of the population, shit happens. You know, and so now they're shocked. And uh, to me, it was just another thing. I'm like, yep, that's, that's what I'm going to have to process and do what I need to do. But, like, I'm not really all that shocked. Not not a whole lot shocks me. Yeah. <laughs> like, people right. say, oh, you know, such, I'm like, yeah, I'm not shocked. <laughs> like, yeah, when I heard the statistics were up, like, oh, child abuse and, 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 and domestic violence is up because people are now home. I'm like, for a second, it was like, oh, my God. And then I was just like, oh, of course, because this is humans. Yep. This is what we are. Like, instead of appreciating... And enjoying the time you have, you have more time with your family. You're like, nah, my family gets on my nerves. I'm going to beat them. I'm going to hurt them. Right. And it's like, right. man, like this is where we are. And so, yeah, COVID, right. Like it, it's, it's a distraction from everything else. And it's, like I said, I'm not downplaying that COVID isn't a problem, especially for certain people who have health issues and bad immune systems and, and so on and so on. I'm not, I'm not standing on any side for vaccinations or masks. I'm just simply saying, I know it's a problem, but it is not a bigger problem than children going missing is not a bigger, you know, it's not bigger problem than molestation. And, and it's not the only problem. It didn't erase other problems. And I yeah. think the problem is they didn't even think about those problems before. So like it doesn't erase it for them because it didn't exist because people don't want to hear about, I mean, I, I can't think of something like, and I used to do this test, like on Facebook, I'd post something benign and positive, you know, whatever it's kind of like, right. And then I'd post an article or something about something that was going on that maybe needed some attention. Nobody would like it because people don't want to hear about that. They don't want to hear about bad stuff happening. They don't want to, it hasn't happened to them. It hasn't happened to their kids. They just want to, it doesn't happen. Right. And you know, years ago, I remember I read this, it was like a parenting magazine when my kids were little and, and it was like a letter magazine. And I guess they had run an article about a woman who lost her baby. And so she wrote an article about what it was like to go through that. And, like that. and the responses of being passionate were like, oh, I don't have to read that in my parenting magazine. Like, Ugh, now you make me think about my kid. And like, it doesn't have to happen to you for it to matter. Like, you have to start, stop thinking, you know, inside your box. You have to start thinking outside your world and think, it matters to me that somebody else is suffering. It matters to me that somebody else is going through this. 
that makes me a better person. But the problem is I feel like a lot of people do feel like if it doesn't happen to them, they don't want to think about it. They don't want it on the radar. They don't want you talking about it. And that's where I feel like you just talk about it more. Yeah, it's like you yell words like cancer and then people put their fingers in their ears and go, la, 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 I don't want to hear this. Right. It's like, like, dude, it exists. Like, we, can, right. we can't forget this stuff. Like, I, I'm not telling you to not be afraid, but stop watching the news. They want you to right. be afraid. They want you to be divided and, and just have your own identity, have your own ideology. Think outside the box and stop just Think, being, exactly. you know, stop being biased to everything. Stop watching the things that prove your points right. Exactly. You know, like just just yep. have an open mind and understand that like you're not the only one going through shit, or you're not the, you know, your life is you're not the only one here, um, and yeah, it's just yeah, it sucks because like this is this type of stuff just distracts everybody from everything and and it it puts us so far back, and then when you think about it, like issues with like people with disabilities, not only does that get pushed back, it gets pushed back beyond the things that are already getting pushed back. Um, right. because it, it's whatever's on the news is selling. It's like, oh, look, Asian hate is now a big thing. It's like, yeah, I lived in Philadelphia forever, and, and I, I saw Asian people getting beat It was up all always the time. a thing. It was always a thing, right. But the news says it's something, and then people listen for about a week. I feel like that's the other side of it. People, they want to they wanna get, like, riled up about stuff, but then they want to move on to the next thing to get riled up about. And so, like, has Asian hate always existed? Absolutely. I, my family, when I was a little girl, brought in a family from Vietnam. They were both people who turned the fall of Saigon. So they basically were rescued and people in America could like basically adopt them to come in and help them make their way here. And I saw it. I mean, I saw it because this little girl went school with me, you know, in, in North Carolina at the time. So, you know, definitely saw that hatred. It's always existed. The media says that people care for a week and then they move on. And the fact is like, the Asians are still being hated on people care this week. Probably not something else happened and and that's exactly what the media wants because it paralyzes people from uniting and actually doing it yeah because it, it makes people like it, it'll start dividing because then there's some people will say like well it's the white supremacists and then it's no it's the black people in the in the ghettos doing it and this and then it's, it's all these like oh no well, fuck the white people they're doing it more no it's the black people and it's just it's all this division and we're not even and we've completely forgot about the cause itself. It's like, okay, well, Asians are being abused. Now Jewish people are being like we just forget that we're abusing each other as people. We 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 put all these labels on it. And like, yeah, they look a little different, but they're still fucking human. Yeah, maybe they like, speak here's a different, really yeah. right. Here's a really simple analogy. A car doesn't work unless the parts are all together. And, you know, the powers that be know that that, you know, if we're all together, we're we're gonna work. We're gonna make this work. And if we don't, then we're just laying in that heap on the ground and that's what's going on. Like we're not, we're, we're being divided on purpose, <laughs> you know, because we're divided. We don't work. We don't come together and make the system work. And that's, you know, unfortunately until people recognize that's why they're being like riled up. That's why things are being put out in the words, even the way words are like, you know, a headline is written is to get people to react a certain yeah, way, it's, it's you know, it's disgusting. I don't even watch it. It's like, I, I literally don't, I, we have, we don't even have like TV and we have Netflix. Like, and I watch programs mm-hmm. I want to watch and I will not, I don't read the paper. I don't like, yeah, I don't like, I am aware of what's going on in the world, but I keep things in a very, very like kind of neutral state. Like I'll, I'll look to see what I need to read. So I'm aware of what's going on, but I don't let it touch it. Now I that's why I kind of understand the people who watch things like the Kardashians, even though I think that's shitty too, but like they just dumb their mind down so much because they don't want to see all the tragedy that's going on out there because it's just disgusting. 
Um, but something I said on a a previous episode to a person was like, we like to brag that we're this like top of the food chain because we can do so much. (laughs) But the reality is like we act act more like animals than we do what we perceive to be as human. All we do is kill and rape and, and, and just judge and And attack. And and, yeah, we're just, we always have our teeth there. That's what I feel like. We always have our teeth there. People are just ready for a fight all the time. And like, uh, even on social media, like I really do social media for my books and I keep in contact with my family. My my podcast, in yes. Yeah. And that's really what I use it for. But like I, if I start to scroll or I start to tell, I, I end up doing press, I feel, you know, disillusioned, they get angry. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's the problem with all of this is that's what it's meant to do is because, you know, it keeps us inert. It keeps us enabled to basically take what we have inside our passions and find something to fight for. You don't need to fight for everything, but find something that you're passionate about and fight for that. Because if everybody did that, everything would be covered. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I end up, I, I know exactly how you feel. Like I've talked about this as well, just like going on Instagram and trying to find people with disabilities to interview. And I find some really amazing people, but I also find people on there that are just trying to use their, like their sexuality to show off their disability and try to show, you know, cover up the hurt and, and just right. cause they're, they're just going with the trends. Um, and yep. it's like, man, like, what are you doing? Like, as I said before, I think anybody who feels that they're beautiful and they're disabled, I think that's amazing sentiment. I love that. But there's, there's a lot of hurt that I don't think they're covering up and they're not real. Like the way they're going about it. It's like, Ooh, look at my ass. And it's like, yeah, man, like, right. look, look at yeah. my ass, but I, I ha- but I have no legs. And it's like, dude, come on. Like this is so gross. Why are you doing this? Like you're a beautiful person. You're awesome. Stop listening to people who say you're an ugly because you don't have legs. Fuck them. They're right. not worth you think the time. beauty is this, right. You think beauty is this defined thing that's put out there, yeah. you know, into the world. Like you have to, you know, I mean, this is again, a conversation we have in our house, but like, I, I don't believe in using sexuality to sell anything. My, my husband, he's like, yeah, if you just show pictures of yourself, you sell more books. I'm like, that's not why I want to sell books. I want to sell books because my words matter. Like it's important to me that people find it for the right reasons. Yeah. And, you know, but that's the problem is like, it, it is. I mean, I, the amount of sexuality that is based on insecurity and, and need for ego boosting or ego stroking is is astounding. Like, I mean, if you try to get into anything, and any group you find, you're going to find that in there. And that's frustrating because people don't realize you're beautiful because you're beautiful. Yeah. Simple as that. Like, doesn't matter what you look like, who you are. Ugliness comes from how you act, who you, what you basically put out there. So if you're ugly, it's because you're an ugly person. Like you're, you're putting out hate, you're putting out misery, you're putting out negativity. But if you're a person that is living with kindness, living with compassion, doing the best you that you can, you're beautiful. Like it's simple as that. And I feel like we've been marketed to for, I mean, eons, as long as there's been marketing, we've been marketed to again, because it keeps us in our, it keeps us from feeling confident. It keeps us from feeling strong, keeps us from feeling united. And that's going to continue on. And have a real conversation. Like, you'll, like years ago, there's these books would come out like a hundred ways to please your man. It's like, well, why don't you just ask your man what he likes? Why the fuck are you reading what other women think about men? They're not men. So why don't you, when you ask right. like the perspective of the, that's the reason why we, we do have differences here. Um, and it's just like, just about having real conversation, just communicate with each other. And yeah, it's just, everything is sold to, especially like I said, I feel worse more for women because men, men do all kind of dumb shit just for attention. But 
women, it's 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 ninety nine point nine percent of the time, it's it's just about their sexuality. And again, there's nothing wrong with sex. There's nothing wrong with showing your curves right. in your body. But it, it's just when you're just doing it for attention, and you this is the only way you feel you can make a living, or or this is the only or way sadly, you feel important. Maybe it is the only way. Maybe it's the only way somebody will pay attention to you. Maybe you have a skill that's amazing. You're an athlete as a woman, but for some reason, the only way as an athlete, as a woman, that you'll get any attention is if they get shots at you from behind with your butt, you know, like that type of stuff. Like you're still being put into this thing where it's not good enough to be an athlete and get it. You do now. You also have to sell your body a little bit (laughs) to get that marketing, to get that. Yeah. And that, and that's kind of how I look at it with the disability community where it's like, yeah, people all perceive us like we're all the same. Like what you were saying with your, your husband, how some, or your daughter, they perceived them to be slow based off of whatever they were doing at that time that they were like, Oh, look at that. Um, Right. Yes, we all we all are different. And I know I understand why so many people in the disability community want to venture off and try to be their own thing. I get that. But it's like if we don't come together, we don't show that we're a strong, united group and fight for all our causes. And then when once we get their attention, then we show, oh, look, deaf and blind are completely opposite. Yes, they're similar, exactly. but they're different. You know, paraplegics. You know, people who have uh, spinal injuries or, or, you know, traumatic brain injuries or lupus or any of the, they're all different in their own way. Yes, there's many parallels, many similarities, but they're different. Um, and we're all, and, and even if you both are blind or you both are paraplegics, they're different because they have, they're different right. people. They have different stories. Um, and, right. and that's that's what we need to do. But if we don't come together and we don't actually, you know, we have to, we are brave people. We go out in public every day knowing that people are probably going to look at us and, and, and some more than others. Like I can get away with it more because I can hide my disability more than others. Not that I try, but I can because I'm not totally blind and because I have legs and I can walk and I, I, I function well enough to where people are like, oh, okay, there's nothing wrong with them until I look close at something. So I have some right. benefits, but still, I still get it. And, you know. We, 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 we know that ridicule is there. We know people stare and it sucks, but you know what? It's like, fuck them. Like who cares? Like we are, we are great people. We do a lot. And I, I love the movements that are coming out of like disability pride month and things like that. Like be proud of yeah. what you have because people don't understand. Like when you go through what we go through and the fact that we can still smile and we still get out of bed and we, we, we fight all the challenges of our physical disabilities and our mental disabilities because we all have mental disabilities who have physical disabilities. I will guarantee that. And right. we, every day we still get up and we still find something to smile at. I don't care if it's our pet. I don't care if it's a comedy or a show, um, somebody we love. We still find a way to smile even when we're in excruciating pain, uh, emotionally or physically. And, and I don't understand. If you don't find that beautiful, then I don't know what the hell <laughs> we're doing because – like I said, there's so many people that inspire me and I go through shit myself, but it helps me get through this life because I know that there's other people that are just like your husband that are just trying. Like there's nothing easy about your husband's life, but you make it easier. Your kids make it easier. You're, you know, um, just, you know, everything that he's he's going through, like he he's just stronger and he, he, he gets up and yeah, he knows that tomorrow is going to, you know, there's going to be parts of it that may suck. Maybe it won't, but he knows it's a possibility and he still gets out of bed and he still tries to smile and he still tries to live a life, um, knowing that what, what could come. And that to me is beautiful because, you know, the people that end up killing themselves because of this stuff and people kill themselves for many reasons, but the people that are, are disabled that do it as much as I hate that they did that. I also understand why they did it. 
I've been down that road. I've, 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 I tried to kill myself. I know what that's like. It sucks. And I don't feel, I don't look at them as weaker people than me. I just, you know, I, I found my way out of that dark smog, that cloud that was over me. And I'm still in the cloud. It's still above my head, but I'm, I'm, I'm going away from it little by little. And they just couldn't because it consumed them. And, and I, like I said, it sucks. Right. And, and I don't, not that I want to just be completely dark about everything, but it's just, you have to talk about every reality that we go through. And, um, you know, it's, it, to me, it's beautiful that anybody that can just stand, uh, even, even if they physically can't stand, they, they, they find a way to just stand for something and they get up and they yep. just, every day is a challenge, but they don't let it stop them. And, and, like I said, that's that's always to me is one of the most beautiful things that exist in this world. It is, it is, and then, again, it's you know the fact that you have to fight for something that should just be a right is where the rest of us need to stand up and say enough. Like this is you know we demand equal rights. You know all men are created equal, right? Like that's in our our constitution. So like it's you know we have to demand that that happens with demand in our companies we have to demand in our schools and say you need to make this you know it's your job to basically provide these services to provide adaptations to make it that so that somebody with a disability is given as equal chance to work to live to go to school whatever like it, it's not, it's all of our responsibilities it's not your burden to bear you know yeah. it's great that people with disabilities are coming together and standing up because i feel like it needs to happen you know, because otherwise, again, people will disregard because it's easier than to actually do stuff. But if you're standing in a mask, it's hard for people to disregard you. You know, when your voices are that loud, it's hard for people to just pass by. So I think that's ultimately why your podcast is important, why you speaking out is important and reaching out to other people, because it does bring people together. We don't have to physically be standing together in order to actually have a voice. Yeah. We just need to be presenting and demanding and saying this legislation needs to change. Yeah. You need to have this available to me at my job. Right. I also think we got to stop having these cutesy little saying like all people are created equal because we know that's not true. But it's okay that yeah. we're not equal. Like we, we want to be equal as far as pay scale and, and just, you know, treated the same and all that. Not pay scale if you deserve it. Like just because you're a woman and you make less than a man, that doesn't mean you deserve more than that man just because you know, history says that women have gotten paid less. Like if he works harder than you, then he should get paid more than you. But if you work right. on the same level and you put in the same effort or more, Hey, you might, you probably should get paid more. It's, it, you know, again, it's, it's always a balance, but you know, yeah, people aren't created equal. I'm not created equal. I don't have, I have shitty sight. You have more sight right. than me. That doesn't mean we're not equal, but we, we can find ways to be balanced and on the same level. Um, right. Well, the equality should come from how, how you treat it. Right. You right. know, so the quality is, you know, you don't get to be treated differently because you can't see. Right. You know, my husband doesn't get to be treated differently because he can't use his right hand. You like that. You don't like the, the equality comes from how we treat people. So, you know, how we create laws in this country, how we how we address this. I still feel like the thing that I feel about disability that I saw growing up and always is, is it's still allowed to be very invisible. Like, you know, it's OK to not say hello to somebody who has a disability. Nobody seems to question that. It's rude as hell. Like, mm -hmm. if you say hello to anybody else or open the door and then somebody with a disability comes and you just kind of act like they're not there, you know, that's not acceptable and that should be called out. And I've seen it. I've seen, you know, a grocery store and, you know, somebody is walking in with their disabled son and, you know, they'll talk to the parent like, and then just 
totally ignore that the child's there, but they won't do it with anybody else. They'll talk to everybody else. Yeah. I mean, how does that child feel? And I'm talking about children that are old enough, teenagers that are old enough to understand that they're being ignored by somebody. Like, that's really horrible that we do that. Yeah. I also feel like we're always in competition with each other, where it's like if someone says, like, well, you don't know what it's like to be sa- disabled. You don't know what it's like to be black. It's like, yeah, I don't. But why don't you tell me? Let's let's converse. Let's talk about it. And let's yeah. not compare our stories, our war stories. Like, we can talk about it. We can say, like, again, yeah, this is what's good and bad about being black or disabled. But at the end of the day, we're both going through shit. Everybody goes through right. stuff. It's just some people go through worse things. People have worse lies. Some people really have every the, the deck stacked against them. But it's like, again, if we can come to terms with ourselves and, and figure out why it's beautiful to be what we are, and then we can reach out and try to help people that are similar or going through other things, and we can relate to others, even if I don't know what it's like to be black. I do know what it's like to be discriminated against. I do know what it's like to be treated less than than another person. And right. it's just not because of the color of my skin. It's because of the way my eyes look. Um, and, that, and, that, and that's still similar. And so we got to stop trying to think like our stories are the worst stories because there's always someone worse than you. You know, there's there's a lot of people that are not here anymore because it was worse than what you went through. There's a lot of people that died and sacrificed everything so that black people could be free, so that disabled people weren't put in camps and so that gay people could get married and all these different things. And they're not here anymore. You know, I always talk about Martin Luther King, not because it's corny to talk because, you know, he's such a figure that everyone talks about. And it's like, no, we should talk about him more because he, he's probably the most quotable person that has ever existed. And he really was for people, all people to be to, to be together. And, you, and I know people try right. to point out history like, oh, well, he might have been cheating on his wife. He might have been. I don't give a shit about all that stuff. That's just a way to bring down his character because we're all human and we all make mistakes. I'm not saying he was a perfect right. person because he's not. But he was. It's how people negate the positive things. They right. find negative things that they can negate the positive things. Throw the baby out with bathwater. Right. You know? And because I, I know, because when I know Martin Luther King Day came up last year, and people were like, oh, yeah, but he did this. Mike, and that's true. And I hear it with Gandhi, too. And I'm like, those things may be true. But it doesn't mean that the things that he did fight for or the positive didn't exist. Those are still important. Right. You it's know? Like Abraham to, Lincoln, to he, had, he had slaves. It's like, yeah, but he freed them. Like it was the time people did shit because that's what they thought was right. And then they thought, then they realized it was wrong. It's like, well, I'll tell you if you really want to get to it, like there are things in my life. I, you know, I wouldn't want at the end of my life, if I did really positive things, there are things I'm not proud of. Yeah, I mean, there are, but I would hate for those things to erase the things that I worked really hard on, Absolutely. you know, too. Yeah. But that's why I spread light on the things I, 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 I put it out in there and I say, look, this is the shit I did. I'm not coming on here telling you that I'm just some choir boy and I'm just this amazing person. There's things I don't, I'm not proud of. There's things I hate about myself or there's things I've done. And I'm, I'm look, I, I, I've only done really one terrible thing in my life and I've talked about it, but I, in, in general, I, you know, I haven't always been the best boyfriend or I haven't always, I mean, I've never cheated and never forced myself on a girl. I never did that. But you know, I always haven't been the best person. Sometimes I've been closed off and, and whatever. And I, you know, just because I present myself to the audience as a good person, I show all that. And, and, and I, but I, I also let you know that, yeah, like I am a little fucked up because I've been through so right. much. And if I wasn't fucked up, that would be even more fucked up because if I can just take right. everything that I've been through and smile, that's really crazy. That's how you become a serial right. killer. And so I, yeah, I've been, I've haven't always been the best person. And that's why I try to show you if I'm sad or if I'm angry because it's real emotion and I don't want to hide 
other parts of me just to come on here and say like, yeah, like that's the one thing I, I, I do. One of the things I appreciate about doing this is that I, I, I try to be as honest and, and raw as I can. That's why I don't do a lot of editing. I just let things play out the way they are because that's the way it should be. Because when you start focusing on the theme songs and the music and the, and the, the banners and all this shit, you forget about like the actual product itself. And some of these podcasts come on. It's like, well, I want a half hour where I want you to come on and tell me your whole story about your life, your husband, your daughter who died. I want you to tell that all in 25 minutes. Go. It would be impossible. Good yeah. luck. You know? <laughs> like, and, not, not to show real emotion. I mean, you could do it, but you'd be reading off like a script and not really talking about how it impacts you, how it, how it affects your life, and how it inspires you. I mean, because, I mean, what I've been through also inspired me to be a writer, inspired me to try to share my story you know, or things that I've seen observed. So, you know, it gives me a chance to really talk mm-hmm. about our things. It's not easy to talk about my daughter. I don't tend to bring it up. It's, it's almost enough that I can't do it without you. It's been a lot of years, but it doesn't matter to my kids. So, like, I still get really sad. So I don't tend to talk about that with people because, again, on a short podcast where it's like a quick 30 minutes, that's, that's a big hole to start digging. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not trying to shit on other people's shows. People do whatever they want. I just, like, for me, like, again, I genuinely, getting to know you, you know, I genuinely care about you and I have love for you because I know what you have had to go through. And, you know, in my own way, I, I can kind of project and, and feel what you, your pain. And, and it's like, I you know, I want to know about your daughter because she's so important and, sure. and she needs to be talked about because, you know, who who knows about your daughter other than the people you've told about, told and, um, and again, like without right. your daughter, My. your story isn't as relevant. And I don't mean that in a mean way, but like your daughter really probably morphed you into more of who you are than anything else in your life, even though you've gone through other shit. Um, oh, yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And it's why it's such a touchy, touchy subject, because, you know, the more it changes you, the more it matters, the more pain it comes with it. And that's definitely the most painful thing. I went through a lot as a kid and they've gone through things, but like losing my daughter, hands down, I mean is the most, the hugest tragedy of my life. And it, and it has impacted every breath I take. So it's, it's important to talk about. And I appreciate having that floor to talk about her, but it takes time. Like you can't, you can't, I can't just spit out a five minute explanation of my daughter. You know, that it doesn't explain everything about her and how every single thing I do now has been changed because she existed. And because she died both like, you know, her death and her life both changed me. And so those are things that, you know, I appreciate being able to talk to you. It's, it's painful, you know, yeah, really people talk about. So. Yeah, all that hokey shit. Like, oh, define your daughter in one word. All that bullshit. It doesn't, like, that's cute, cute. But it's like, no, man. Like, sometimes it's hard to express some, express a story just off a couple sentences. Like, you really just got to paint the picture. Like, I, you know, I, that's why I always jokingly say the irony of me is I'm a very visual person. And I always try to paint the picture and try to put people in your shoes because... I don't know what it's like to be you. I don't know what it's like to have a kid who died. I don't even have kids, but I know what it's like to be my mom's son and watching her watch me go through excruciating pain and watching her cry and watching her be strong. Um, And so, but I, but I also, not only do I want to just like listen and learn from you, I also want people to like hear your story because there's a lot of mothers that have either lost their child, will lose their child, or at least watch their kids suffer. And, right. you know, the more people like you that speak out about that, it, it makes it more comfortable for them, even if it still sucks. It's like, well, at least I'm, again, I'm not alone. Um, you know, and, and it was important to me when I was going through things with my daughter. It was important to me that, 
you know, I could hear other people's stories too about what they had gone through. And, and when she died, I had mothers that had reached out to me who had also lost their children and they shared their stories and they shared their, you know, what they, how they coped, you know, things like that. And so those things really matter. Like having, having that voice and using it does help somebody, even if they don't tell you, like, even like, Hey, that helped me just put it out there because it's going to land on someone who's going to think, wow, I'm really glad I heard that today. I can't tell you how many times I've been just driving and something came on the radio and they talked about some story and like, it changed my life. Like it was just a small thing, but like, it made me think differently or maybe changed my path of existence. And, you know, I went home and maybe decided to do something different than I was going to do. And that person didn't know that I heard that and felt that way. Yeah. But it was out there. And so that's what I hope to do too. I hope to do it with my voice. I hope to do it with my writing. It just, Maybe they'll land on one person's ears and they'll be like, oh, hey, you know, that means something to me. You know, yeah. I just, uh, I actually, for my books, I just, yesterday, because it was something I woke up and I said, this was important to me. And I started writing organizations that get books into the hands of prisoners and being frustrated because I was like, it's important to me because I, I could get onto the prison system and how much I think it's screwed up, but I, that would take me a whole nother show. But my point being is, mm. I feel like a lot of people in there need to be hurt. Yeah. And so I was like, how can I get my books just for free to them so so that maybe they can read something and maybe it will connect in some way. Yeah. You know, that's the thing is like just constantly pushing out there and saying, who can I reach? Even if I don't know I reached them, it's not about stroking my ego. It's about maybe by the time I've done my time on this earth, I've changed things enough to help somebody feel better about their day, not kill themselves, be kinder, whatever it is. Like I want to know that my life mattered to make things better on Absolutely. Um, before we wrap on, we talk about your book. I do want to talk about one more thing, but I, I want to just kind of comment what you said because, you know, about listening things and, and just kind of picking on them. Like if you walk around with like an open heart and open mind and, and you just kind of, again, you don't have any biases and you just like, yeah, we all have things that we like more than others. And there's things that we have to kind of go like, oh yeah, I like this more because this is just what I like. And I, but if you can take yourself away from everything and just, you know, just walk around with really no conviction and you just go like okay and you hear stuff that just impacts you and even if you don't fully agree with it but you can understand how someone can go there even if it's something really dark or, or whatever uh or something you you pretty much is heinous and something you completely disagree with but there's a part in there you can take from it like it, it doesn't matter where the source came from because there's people evil people that have said and done good things or said things that we all can relate to but we write everything off because of the source but there, there's so much out there we can pick up on because i think one of the things that I really hate that what people do is when someone does something heinous, we, if they did something good in their life, we completely just say, oh, well, that didn't matter. And because we try to pretend like we're all good and we don't have this right. evil and then that these serial killers or these people that do horrible shit, they are the worst of people and we are so far removed from them. But that is not true. We are all very right. close to being those people and we all have this good and bad in us. And again, I... I have had plenty of horrible thoughts as I've talked many times, not so much anymore, but I've had to get myself out of that. I could have been a school shooter. I could have been, a, you know, a horrible person if I wanted to be. It's just, I didn't go down that path. I fought through it. Right. And, you know, like I said, you, if you just go through life tr wanting to learn and wanting to experience other people's cultures and just whatever their pain, everything, just learn, you know, whether it's documentaries, movie, you, you could pick up on stuff on the dumbest things. And if you just you, oh, just, yeah. <laughs> you just have an open mind to everything, you're going to learn a lot and your life will continue to evolve as you go along. And, and um, 
you know, I, I, that's how I try to live. Because I really like, there's things that hit me that I'm just like, Oh, like I'm literally listening to a sports show and somebody goes through an analogy or something. I'm like, Oh, I could use that. Like, I like that. Um, right. something that I never even imagined cause it's just stupid sports. Um, but, um, but yeah, the one thing I wanted to kind of really talk about, like you meeting your, your husband, like what were, how were you at the time? Were you open to wanting to get into another relationship? I mean, you have all this that's happened to you up until that point. Um, were you open-minded to getting into a relationship? And also what was your initial thought of meeting this person who has this disability? That's obviously very obvious. Um, were you, were you open to dating someone with a disability? Well, so it's interesting kind of how we met was through work. So it was, you know, it wasn't a situation where I was looking to date anybody or anything. I just, I started a job at a bookstore, um, a major chain and he worked there and the, I was actually at the end of my previous marriage that was basically falling apart. We were separating and I wasn't really looking to date anybody because obviously I was coming out of a long marriage, I had children with, and you know, I was honestly trying to find me, which I think was probably good because like I lost my daughter. I was ending my 18 year marriage. I mean, it was basically really at a place where I didn't know who I was and that was kind of a, a weird place. And so that's when I met, we both worked, we hit it off. We became friends. Um, and he was somebody that, like, mentally I connected with immediately. He just had a really open mind about the world, and he was also kind of exploring things like he was looking at different spiritualities and different things, and he was really into music. And it was one of those things where I kind of needed that at the time because I'd put so much time and energy into other people that I'd never really, like, explored things that I liked, that I was interested in, that maybe I would, you know, so talking to him allowed me to start to open my mind and go, okay, Maybe I want to listen to this music. Maybe I want to go to this place. You know, let me look at that, you know, spirituality or that belief system. So I think that's really how we connected initially is, you know, we just became really good friends really fast. Uh-huh. And then, you know, then it was just, we were just inseparable. It was one of those things where I can't really explain. There was never a moment where I was like, am I comfortable or uncomfortable? Do I or don't I? It was just like, we just bonded and became, went from friends pretty quickly into you know, we realized we felt deeper about each other. Um, you know, he he was more closed off about that. And I think, you know, growing up kind of where he did and how he did, you know, being disabled was kind of like, hide it if you can. So he did, he would always kind of like try to stand in a way or do things in a way that he would hide his disability. Uh-huh. And so he... You know, I think I was probably maybe even more initially comfortable talking about it than he was because my daughter, you know, had one and I didn't, I just don't find it to be anything other than if you have brown hair and I want to talk about you having brown hair. So, like, I, I think I opened that conversation up quicker with him did because I wasn't uncomfortable, but I think that was maybe surprising to him as well because people are more comfortable if you hide things. And, um, you know, it's, it's just something that I was, I wanted to just address it and talk about it because it wasn't something that I felt like needed to be hit, you know? And so through our friendship, we would go hiking and we just talked a lot about things and eventually kind of came to the point where this is just a natural conversation. Just like when my daughter came to me and told me she was gay, it's her truth, not mine. So we just talked about it. His truth is he has cerebral palsy, not my truth. It's his. So who am I to say how he should or shouldn't feel about it? You know, how he should or shouldn't deal with it. So the way I look at it is I'm here for you. You tell me, you know, what you need from me. Um, but I'm also not going to put it in a box. I will definitely have those honest conversations about it. Yeah. So 
Mm-hmm. And then when we decided to date, it was just like, again, it was just, it was very, very natural. I mean, we just had, had hit it off so much that I couldn't imagine not being around him and not spending my life with him. So, yeah, no, that, that makes a very strong bond and, and it helps. It's, it's, I guess it's a good escape from the world because again, you know, everything that you've gone through and your daughter goes through and, 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 and what he goes through, it's like when you're all together, not only do you have a great support system to come home to, because you know, one of the things that goes on in this world with the bullying kids come home and they get bullied online. Well, it's like, right. You know, your husband, you, you, you all have a place to come home where it's your, it's your safe haven, it's your safe zone and you all support and love each other. But also when you go out into the world together, you know, it, it doesn't matter what life throws at you, even if it impacts you and it affects you at that point, you know, like the person next to you loves you and you have something right. to come home to and you have this bond that most people don't have, regardless of whatever's going on in their life, good or bad. And, you know, and, and it helps to, you know, again, because you, you, you and your husband are great role models to your daughter that, you know, how to treat people. You know, if she's going through right. her identity, I'm trying to, you know, okay, she's a gay woman in this world. You know, how does she navigate that? And just because you don't know what it's like, you know, she could at least look at what your husband goes through or what, you know, your other daughter went through and what you've gone through and all these stories. And it's, it's just, you know, treat people equally and treat them regardless of regard what they look like or who they date. And, you know, it, like I said, it, it's a trickle down effect from the family. Like everyone, you just, you all kind of impact each other in different ways and it, it helps to strengthen this bond that you all have. Absolutely. I don't think you have to go through what someone goes through or you don't think you even have to totally understand what somebody's going through right. to be compassionate, to be empathetic. I think that just saying this person's going through something is the step of saying, okay, it's going to be tough. I say it to my daughter, you know, I say all the time, I'm like, you know, the world is tough, but you're tougher. Like ultimately you're, you're going to go through stuff. People are going to treat you like crap. They're going to, you know, make fun of you. They're going to, you know, even legislatively try to prevent you from having a life. But the fact is like you're tougher, you have this in you and, and you can fight for that. And, and I, I feel that way across the board. So if you're, if you're somebody with a disability and you're talking to a person of color, you might have different things, but some of those challenges are the same. Some of those things you face are the same and that's, you need to find the, 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 the alike and not the different because the alike is what makes us stronger. It pulls us together. And says, yeah, man, I've been through that. You know, like I know what you're saying, you know, I have your back. And I think that ultimately how we need to feel about one another. We need to have each other's back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to kind of like wrap up here, like why don't you just kind of obviously promote, but also discuss like your books and what, what, what's your, what are you trying to get out of doing these fictional books? Sure. So, so I currently have two books out now. Um, they were released in 2021. I have two more on the docket coming out this year. Cool. Um, and then all of my books, I, you know, I'm very passionate about things in the world and, and I see people struggling. And I think that's, you know, I can't put my finger on and say, I care just about one of these things. I care about it all. So what I wanted to do for my writing was really like show points of view of some of these struggles that maybe people very quickly dismiss. So my first book, Do Over, deals a little bit with uh, mental illness. The main character has dissociation disorder, which I really had a lot when I was younger, which is where a lot of times you just don't kind of feel like, you feel like you're dying or you feel like you're not in the space that you're in. Like, it's a really weird sensation. And I used to have it all the time when I was younger. I suffered really bad panic attacks in my 20s. Um, and I was really, really isolated because of it because it just, it wasn't that I didn't care. It wasn't that, you know, I didn't, 
uh, connected people. It's that I would hit these moments where all of a sudden I wasn't, I wasn't there. Like I wasn't able to really bridge a gap between me and other people. And so she has that. And, you know, she basically puts her in bad situations because of this disconnection. She basically puts herself in a bad situation and ends up in a, another town, 700 miles from there. You know, she's made a bad choice. And so it's a beach town. She decides she's going to stay and try to restart her life. But she does a lot. She kind of has to constantly hit reset because she keeps messing up. And the small town, you know, she makes some friends there and finds out a lot of the people in their 20s are suffering from ketamine abuse. You know, they're using ketamine. It's a pretty impoverished town. It's a tourist town, but, you know, the people who live there just aren't, you know, making the money. And so a lot of these kids kind of feel trapped and they're using ketamine. And so through that, she really connects with uh, one of the townspeople, Smitty, who's a lifeguard, and finds out his story. And through the story, basically, it finds out that he kind of is a catalyst for a lot of the problems there. And, you know, and but then it goes into his life as well. And, like, his childhood and what led him to make some of the decisions for that system. Um, so I, I address like drug abuse and that and mental illness and, and prison, that one. And then um, uh, the second book I published last year, We Don't Matter, gets into like police brutality, church abuse, um, homosexuality, kind of basically gets into a lot, a lot of like hot foot and topic issues as well. The main character doesn't know that he's gay, but you know, kind of through the story realizes he is. Um, and then realizes, you know, he, he's a filmmaker that he has to really use his filmmaking to have a voice and expose some things that he's seen, including police brutality and the church. Yeah. Um, I have a book, a book coming out. I think I mentioned this earlier in May with Adelaide and that has uh, a deaf dog handler. And so it's basically a search and rescue team. Uh, and the main character is uh, a paramedic there and, and this deaf dog handler comes in and it's really kind of about, you know, being in search and rescue, but it's about a lot of things they're bringing to the table too. Him growing up being deaf, he was adopted, um, just being bullied in school, and it kind of gets into all of that. And then she has some trauma she goes through. And so I tried to, in all of my stories, address like something, whether it's drug abuse, having a disability, you know, going to prison, having a mental illness, because I feel like all of us have something that we're carrying. And those people that said they don't are really destroying themselves because we all have. You know, we all have a trauma or mental illness or, you know, something that we're dealing with. And maybe we're self-medicating with wine every night. You know, make us good about it. Whatever it is, we all are basically, you know, dealing with something. And if we can see that we're alike and we can be there for one another, I feel like, again, and I brought this up in my books, we, we could, like, if we would stop seeing each other as so different, constantly fighting against each other, I think that we could see a community that our children would thrive in you know, that we would feel. Yeah. I think what you're doing is not only super important, but I think what's great about it is that so many of us are trying to find representations of us. Like, you know, again, you always hear a lot of like black people saying like, Oh, there's not enough black superheroes or or whatever. Like you're you're giving people characters fictional or not. There there are people who can relate to them. And you know, you're like, okay, there's, there's someone like me out there that's in a book, even if it's not real, it's like, it's, it's someone that's like them because some people don't have any of that. You, you don't really, right. you know, I reached out to the, the one guy that I hope someday we can talk is, is the guy who's on uh, breaking bad, who was a, the kid with um, cerebral palsy. And, oh yeah, and it's like, I would love to get a hold of him because he's such a great representation of not only people with cerebral palsy, but just someone with a disability because 
he actually has that condition. And he not only is that, he's a great yeah. actor and he just, you know, he was so necessary and, but they didn't have to put him in the show and he was just great. And, but he, yeah, he, it, yeah he, he's a huge like reminder of like, yeah, like there are people, like there are some people that have cerebral palsy and look at that kid and it's like, wow, he's my idol because he's on a show, exactly. one of the greatest shows ever. Well, we watched that show and, you know, of course my husband had cerebral palsy and he's like, oh yeah, you know, and talk about it. We didn't realize he actually had it. I always look up. I'm the kid person's like watching a show and I'm going through to look up like the cast and, and I looked and I was like, he actually has cerebral palsy. And my husband's like, what? Really? Like, right. I could see his eyes on it. Like, it was awesome. Like, he was like, they actually cast somebody with cerebral palsy to play somebody with cerebral palsy. And, like, that was huge because my husband also has a little bit of acting bug. He's like, you know, sometimes I'd like to, like, try to get into stuff. He's like, I feel like now maybe they would consider it. And that's huge because when I first met him, he's like, they would never consider it. His, his view on the world has changed since seeing something like that. Like, maybe they would now consider casting, right. you know. And that's another thing you know, that made that show so authentic and so great, regardless of all the subject matter and all the crazy things that happened in it. Not only is it one of the greatest shows ever, but it, it made that show so authentic because they actually, they thought of real things. They use real science. They, you know, of course, there's some stuff that's a little fabricated right. here and there, but they put so much thought into it. And the fact that they even put themselves in a headspace to say, hey, you know, we want to give him, you know, we want to make this character, the Walter White character, Brian Cranston character, we want to make his life so tragic. And okay, so he has a son who has a disability and he, you know, he wants to take care of him and try to figure out how to make his life better and pay, get him through college right. and all that. Well, we can't, we got, we actually have to hire someone with a disability, but they, which they did it right. because most people don't. Right. And they did. And that's, you know, it's so great. And the thing that they did, and I try to do in my writing, is they didn't make it a trope, and they didn't no. make it, like, o over the top. And, I, you know, I've had these conversations with, with my kids, too. It makes it crazy when somebody puts a gay character or a character with a disability in, and that is the sole thing about that character. They don't have any development as a person. They don't have any interest. Like, they're just the gay character. Or they're just the, the disabled character. Like, right. they forget to, like, make them just the person that they are and, like, we live in a world and everybody's different. You know, there's no two of us that are exactly alike, whether it's through our experiences, our mental health, disabilities, club, our skin, we're all different. Right. And yet, like, it's so easy for them when they, they, someone says, oh, we should have a disabled character, and they just throw that character in there, but that character doesn't have any development. They're not talking about their work day or their hopes and dreams or their relationships. They're just the disabled character. Right. So when I was writing, I really wanted to make sure that these characters are people first, that happen to have whatever challenge you're dealing with. So they're dealing with mental illness, they're dealing with disability, they're dealing with drug addiction. That's not who they are. Who they are is who they are. Your soul, yeah. your being, and then what you're dealing with is that. And so that's when I write, I try to hit that first. Yeah. Because I think that's, that's what I, I don't want somebody walking away feeling good because there was a disabled character. I want somebody walking away and going, well, that person has the same desires I have. They hate their job too. They, you know, whatever it is, they don't like Brussels sprouts, whatever it is. Like I want to make sure that what people are getting from it is that we're all like, right. Yeah. And I think that's again, what that show did because they focus more on him being a teenager boy, you know, when they wanted to change his name and, and you know, when he, you know, he changed his name just cause he was mad at his dad and you know, what kind of food he liked and, and, you know, his relationship with his parents and there's obviously a lot of tragic exactly. things that go in there, but yep. they rarely focus on his disability at all. 
And, uh, you know, right. even when he's drinking beer and his uncle's just talking to him and he's giving him beer. And, and there's obviously a lot of drama that comes with that. But there, there's rarely anything they're talking about his little walker, his crutches. They don't talk about it. They just treat him as a regular character. And that's what you do in your book. Right. And, you know, that's why it's, you know, like I said, it's so like what you do is so necessary because, you know, I think everyone thinks they have to do a certain thing to advocate or to, to, to make a difference. You have to be out on the front line and you have to be yelling and screaming into a, a, you know, a bullhorn and saying, you know, we won't take this anymore. You don't, there's so many ways now, like, you know, right. you don't have to just do a podcast or a YouTube channel or, or write a book. You know, you could, you could just, there's so many ways you can really every make Every action you do. Exactly. Every action you do every day is different from, I say all the time, like, you don't have to wave your flag, you just be present. Which means, like, you don't have to be sitting there saying, look what I'm doing, I'm advocating. You just have to be advocating in every action, every thought throughout your life. You know, so if you see something, you know, you are there and you're present to, to, to be there for it. So whether or not, you know, it's signing a petition or waving a flag or protesting, or it's as simple as, you know, reaching out to school and saying, what do you have? you know, so that these students would have this accessibility to this, you know, what you have, if you have a blind student or a, a student that has, you know, sight issues, do you have magnifiers? Do you have things that help them like being present and just offering those suggestions, standing up for legislation, being a decent human being is probably the number one thing you can do. Just be a decent human being. Like if you just aren't the person that's whispering and pointing <laughs> and you're just saying, Hey, good morning. How you doing today? You know, I learned basic sign language. I worked in retail for years and I realized we had a lot of deaf customers coming in. They were trying to find products. I worked in a gourmet grocery store and they would come in looking specifically for things. And I could see their frustration because nobody could communicate with them. So I learned, I had learned the alphabet back in like some high school. And so I refreshed myself on that and learned some basic words so that I could at least help them find those products, yeah. hand spell and figure out what they needed. Like just being present in your life and realizing like we all have things to you know, and you don't have to, like I said, you don't have to be the person with the megaphone because the person with the megaphone is loud, but they're not always changing things. Nope. Yeah. Sometimes it just sounds like noise. Just like, okay. Right. Shut up. Yep. Like, thanks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, do we, do we cover everything? Because I, I know you have no, a lot think, to talk about, but I, I don't know if we cover everything. I yet. think so. You know, like, I, I really just appreciate the open format. I do best when we can just kind of chat about things and yeah, me too. you know talk about my book so you know and why they're important to me to have written i hope that people find connection with them yeah you know too. and i don't feel like i'm on a soapbox try not to be no you're fine so. I, I just like having real dialogue that's why like when people i talk to them in the beginning i'm like just don't worry about where the conversation is going to go because i don't know and i know i'm right, technically the host <laughs> but i don't have questions written down i just want to talk to the person and we'll just we'll flow and because we have our, our, our stories are connected in one way or another and we'll, we'll, you know, I'm compassionate and empathetic enough to, to try to understand what you're going through and try to throw out decent questions enough to keep the conversation going. And again, it's like you, you're, you're a writer, so you, you know how to put words out and you, you can talk and, yeah. you know, you have a story to tell. And the reality is we're talking about your life, so you know it better than I do or anyone else does. So. It's just a conversation. It flows and it's natural. And I think that's what's really missing from all cultures now or, or, or forms of entertainment where we just, you know, when you look at the news, you look at anything or any of these, you know, political shows, that's just people talking over each other or waiting for the other person to t stop talking, 
didn't listen to what they said and then just go right into their point. And we're not learning from each other. Right. Not, we're not talking. And again, we're not allowed to have different opinions. We're not allowed to, you know, speak our minds about real things. And, and you know, we're not like people may ha- may speak from hate or may say something, but it's like, well, let's, let's figure out why, like the source of that. Where, why do they feel the way right. they do? Let's not censor it. We have to figure out where they're coming from because just because they f- they say something that is egregious and we don't agree with it, that doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong or right or it shouldn't be spoken about because we want to know where it comes from. Everything comes from someplace. Right. And maybe somebody's just in a lot of pain and they just need someone to just talk to um, instead of just writing it off as just evilness. Um, you know, who's to say what we do is right and what they do is wrong. And, not, and again, we all have our theories on that, but let's just, like I said, let's yeah. just have the conversations, put everything on the table and say, okay, I'm here to listen. And here's what I have to say, as long as you're willing to listen. And that's just, Absolutely. You know, we all we all started babies and we all start kind of into a world with a completely open mind. And, yeah. you know, a lot of things come from hatred. You know, a lot of things come from suffering or fear, you know. And I think it, when we have those conversations and we hear each other out, sometimes people even hear themselves saying it and go, oh, wow, you know, I didn't realize it was kind of like that. Or, you know, if you're able to converse with people and, and really listen, a lot of times, you can understand where they're coming from. Maybe they don't even know they're coming from that place. I think you and I had that conversation last time where you were talking about you were saying something and all of a sudden it dawned on you it came from a family member. Like you were kind of repeating what you had heard as a kid. And like I had that too. And I think we all do. Like you almost have this rhetoric that you repeat. And then one day you go, oh, wait, if if you have a chance to say, that's like my dad talking. (laughs) Like that's my grandpa talking or whatever it is. And like, so if we're not having those conversations with each other, we're not going to come to those revelations. And the point is to come to those revelations right. and to say, ultimately, what is our end goal at life? It should be be kind. I mean, it should be that we're there for one another because we're all dying. Like no one's getting out of here alive. So yeah. what is your end goal? Is your end goal that you live a hateful life? Is your end goal that you, you know, try to make life better? Let, let it be something. Even if you're not like out there trying to change things for the better, if you're not trying to make them worse and if you're not spouting hatred, that's okay too. At this point, we just need less hate. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, like I said, I, th- I think what you do is very necessary. I think you're an awesome person. I'm glad we can talk and I hope you, we, we can keep in touch outside this. For sure. Um, yeah, for sure. I've enjoyed talking to you. <laughs> yeah, same here to you. And like I said, I genuinely have a lot of love and compassion for what you go through and or what you've gone through. And I, you know, I really am sorry what happened to your daughter, but I'm also happy what you turned into because you are an awesome woman. And, you know, you're just, like I said, Thank I you. keep saying it, but you're very necessary to not just my cause, but just, just putting some good into this world. Cause we, we, we fucking need it. There's, there's not enough. There just isn't. I agree. And without people like you, we're never going to make progress. Um, and like I said, I thank you for, for coming on and sharing your wonderful story. I appreciate it. And if anybody wants to connect with me, I'm pretty open. You can go to my, my website with it, which is author com. I have links to like email me to my Instagram. I'm always willing to talk. You know, I, I am somebody that wants to be there. So, you know, if anybody just wants to connect on any level, they can reach me through that site. Yeah, I will. Like I said, whenever the, it'll be a while, but when this episode does come out, uh, all your all her links, including the books, will all be in the description. Um, and again, thank you for coming on. Awesome. Thank you so much, TJ. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon. Bye. Right. Bye. What a great conversation, guys! What a fun conversation. 
Um, yeah, I know it was long, so I don't want to babble anymore. But yeah, guys, I just I hope everything is going good for you guys. Um, and you know, just as I keep saying, keep your head up and thank you for all your support. Um, you know, take every day by day. I know that's cheesy to say, but it, these things are cheesy because they get overused, but they are true. You really do have to take every day as its own and, and stop looking, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow. Cause you just don't know. You may not wake up tomorrow, unfortunately. I don't, I don't, I, again, I hate to keep like, trying to paint this like dark narrative or these dark pictures that, you know, um, not like nothing is nothing. There's no sunshine at the end of the tunnel or no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no sunshine out there. There is. It's just, you have to know what else is out there. You have to know your enemy. You have to know what is possible. Um, so, uh, yeah, but you guys, you hang in there. Uh, if you're all doing well, be grateful for that as much as you can, you know, just keep fighting out there and, and just trying to do nice things for others. And, um, you know, I'm sure some good things will come back to you. And, uh, yeah, we'll get out of here, and uh, we'll see you next week, guys. Bye-bye.